Welcome, everybody, to Reality Quest. This happens to be a bonus episode. So if you found your way here. You found it. <laughs> you, you won the Easter egg hunt. This is the exploration <laughs> treasure. Yeah, yeah, for all you explorers out there and, and brave adventurers that want to dig through this piece of archival work. Yes. <laughs> Uh, this episode is a bonus episode, and don't judge us, it sounds awful. <laughs> That's all we want to say. <laughs> no, it's actually genuinely really interesting conversation that Jay and I it had was, about yeah. VR porn and intimacy and sexuality and gender embodiment. Identity, yeah, Ugh, virtual avatars. Great content. Just turns out that we recorded it as an experiment in VR. We don't know if it was us or the platform or what, but it turns out that the recording sounded very different than what it sounded like to us in our headphones and it's very echoey um Mm. so hopefully you can just listen and get past that or listen in chunks or whatever but we thought like we didn't want to just um we thought re-recording would be kind of fake and we also felt like just letting it go to the trash forever yeah it's like like escape into the void yeah really really interesting content um so that is your disclaimer and um but we really encourage you to listen and uh let us know your thoughts as always and so enjoy. This is our first time. Uh, well, it's not our first time. It's actually our second time attempting to do this in VR. But it's our first time yeah. actually going through with the process uh, because we have the infrastructure and support to make it happen. So right. yeah, the entire world is remote right now, if, if it's even possible for their work because of the coronavirus so we decided to try making that happen for this episode of the podcast but this is a particularly interesting subject matter Mm -hmm. that we're going to dive into so yeah so this episode is going to be all about intimacy erotica pornography and related topics uh and questions challenges uh etc within the xr space and um it feels very appropriate to be talking about that now because I'm sure a lot of people have seen in the news already in some form or another that when quarantining and isolation is uh, uh, forced forced upon um, uh, lots of populations, then a lot of people, uh, you know, end up resorting to things like porn. And that yeah. actually... Well, you, well, you just get bored if you are cohabiting with somebody. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Like and, um, <laughs> right. And actually, uh, I was seeing something that, the you know, right now there's a lot of, in all seriousness, a lot of people are struggling in various industries. And uh, one of those groups is the entertainment industry because actors can't get together, you know, to do anything right. to record something. And so there's some voice acting. So voice actors are in a better position right now. I'm sure animators are. Uh, and then another group is um, pornographic actors or actresses because they um, can do solo, solo content. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think the, a really important thing to just call out here for this episode in particular, uh, if you are listening for the first time, is that um, this is clearly going to have content and conversation that is a little bit more uh well we're just we're gonna have to dive into Rip. some <laughs> less conventional Taboo. yeah, yeah. Ris- risky um, yeah some people might not may or may not be comfortable with that so just to give everyone a heads up that's where we're going um right so 
<laughs> and I think uh, Jay and I will you. have the, well, totally. Oh, thank you for saying that. And Jay and I will have the tough job of, it's like, I want to be as honest as possible and as transparent with my thoughts without also disclosing, like, I think we should all have a fair level of um, protection for our own personal lives or preferences right. or anything. So, so <laughs> I'm not going to go. Vulnerability. <laughs> right, exactly. So um, I, you know, I will choose not to go into uh, too much detail, but I'll try to be, you know, as open as possible for the purpose of this conversation. Yeah, I think I think one of the really important things is we can talk about these things in like generalized terms, yeah. Um, rather than trying to dive too specifically into any personal personal tendencies or details here. But um, yeah, I think it's a it's a really interesting topic. I think we both were were really fascinated by this and curious about it for a long time because it's not talked about enough in the space. And there's also just yeah. a general societal discomfort with uh with sex and everything having to deal with that and intimacy so right i mean i don't talk with most people about porn or sexual preference in general let alone you know focusing on the technical or the xr side so i'm pretty excited to talk about this um the one other thing i'll say is so this is a thoughts on thoughts episode if you're for the first time tuning in um, what that means is that it's uh, so far and typically just Jay and I talking. And so we don't have a guest for the episode. Um, and I'll, up until now, uh, since we introduced the Thoughts on Thoughts concept, we were doing them after episodes and often relating it to reflection of an episode with a guest. Yeah. Um, we decided this time that we're, we just like experimenting with different ways or approaches to this whole podcasting. So we decided, well, let's do one that's just us introducing topics, like based on our own research, getting comfortable with the topic. And then we're going to close out, um, we're going to then switch it to the episode with the guest, which will be in a couple of weeks. And that's with Ella Darling, who is um, a pornographic actress. And she's done a bunch of amazing things. I'm really excited to talk with her. Uh, and she works within the XR space as well. Um, so again, this is yeah. just us. And then we'll follow up with another episode. Um, and we'll focus on uh, making everyone here feel this is a safe space. So let's all just sit down and get too comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> just get down and dirty with it. <laughs> Before we dive into any of this topic, I actually would like to talk about the space we've created that we're recording in. Because (laughs) (laughs) so Jay and I, um, full disclosure, so Jay and I decided to uh, our first experiment with recording in VR. Well, this was our second try because of you know various issues we had at different times. This is our first successful go at it, and. um, because uh, normally we record in person. Um, sometimes we've done some remote ones over video chat. Uh, but, I mean, you would think that we'd be more comfortable with recording an XR. But you know what? It's tough. <laughs> it's, probably, so, it's, it's, it's picky for a number of reasons. <laughs> yeah. But this is the so, point is we are in alt space. And what we've done is we created our own world. Um, so alt yeah. space has a 
beta right now, which is uh, called like worlds. Um, and so people can create their own world. You can invite people to your world. Outside of that, Altspace is doing very well at managing events. And so what we've done is like created a private event. We created our own world and imported that world into the event. Um, and to be specific for any of the people who are trying to do this for themselves in VR, I'll share if we find out any more from Altspace because I do have, they have like an events team that can help you manage it. Um, and I'll share that, con that contact in information in our show notes. But the way we're doing it right now, which I'm not saying is technically approved by Altspace, I don't know. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> So we created this world and then we have a third person, which is actually just a duplicate of myself. I have two different users by different emails. Sorry, Altspace, hope that's okay. And so there's like <laughs> Kelly version two. She's she is the camera, right? So like she, we're both in a space and then we had her enter, have her mute herself. And then I just kind of set her up on a computer in my kitchen and she's, looking at us so she's set up looking at us and that is the form of a camera and then and an audio and then we're recording it through obs on my laptop so we'll try to describe our environment to you just to like get everyone here and in the mood uh, in the mood okay um so that will we'll try to limit the sexual and, and giggles to a minimum, but you know, you gotta have some. So, okay, we're sitting yeah. by a fire. I know that the term fireside chat is overused and can make uh, one roll their eyes. However, Jay and I really love the idea of sitting by a fire. Like what kind of conversations happen when you're camping or hanging out with friends or family and you're all sitting by the fire and it's late night and like people tend to kind of open up with one another. Yeah. Something um, about staring into the flames makes you become really introspective about life. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. Um, we have some marshmallows on a stick near us, but they're not interactive, so we just have yeah. to stare at it and pretend. Um, <laughs> Longing to stare at <laughs> <laughs> We have, like, a cooler and stuff. We are placed on what is kind of an island um, and our skybox, which is also known as like the, the thing that is surrounding us, um, is yeah. a sky with mountains. It gives you your horizon. So if you look out into the distance, it's what you will see around you and in the sky. Yeah. And yeah. for us, it's like these, these snowy alpine mountains on a lake. Yeah. And, uh, we even have a we have a ship that is kind of uh, just sailing around us in circles on our little island in the middle of the world. Yeah, that's definitely my favorite ad. So there's this giant ship, yes, doing, doing like pirate ship, doing circles around us on an on an invisible ocean, um, which just looks very. It's like a ship in the clouds. It's just very cool. There's a black hole that I put off in the distance, which is kind of ominous and awesome. We have jelly. Yeah, that, that's reminiscent of uh, of Fortnite. Fortnite did this at one point. They did what? Uh, where, so they basically they had a thing happen where they. A have black hole that essentially consumed the entire world uh, that all the players were in. And Fortnite just went down for a, a number of days. So they just oh. they basically turned off. And when you went uh, at Fortnite's YouTube channel, it was just a black hole, like a live stream of a black hole with this ambient. What? Yeah. So like nobody could play Fortnite for for several days, and then they released it again, and they had like a new chapter in content mode. So just to make sure I get it. They basically, they did that all on purpose. They're like, almost, this is yeah. part of the story. Like the world is going to yeah. end through a black hole and then we're going to restart. 
Yep. And then I everything like is like spit back out into a new, a new dimension. But yeah, a black yeah. hole basically sucked everyone in from the sky. Um, wow. So hopefully, hopefully that happens. doesn't happen to us <laughs> during our recording. <laughs> um, we also have jelly jellyfish floating in the sky and fireflies everywhere, which is a really nice touch. So you kind of get a sense of the space we're in, and we'll share pictures on Instagram and all of that. So uh, recording in VR, I mean, it's going to have the same kind of challenges as video chat for in in some ways which is like sometimes you drop out here and there sometimes like it's not going to sound um quite as good because you don't have mics with really like super solid mics integrated um and so we're just going to work with it and hopefully like, like if there are in and outs in the recording which i guess we'll just find out when we find out then like we can all just yeah deal, deal with that together yeah okay cool we'll shall, shall we get into the topic yeah topic of the day <laughs> okay so i was thinking I was thinking um, one thing that one area we could start with, and um, again, our focus right now, so Jay and I both did a bunch of research, and I actually don't know everything like Jay, like we haven't talked before this, so I'm actually really excited to find out like the things that you looked into and Same. what you found out. <laughs> we were yeah. sharing a little bit the last couple of days, but yeah, there's, right. I, I'm curious to, to hear more about what you learned. So one of the things I was thinking we could talk about maybe to start is just sex tech in general. XR, intimacy, pornography, and erotica falls within a general umbrella of sex or sexual technology. Um, yeah, and I think... Is it teledildonics? Well, teledildonics is actually just part of that umbrella. And so that's what okay. I think I want to... I would like to, like set the scene the scene with right because i yeah. think it's unfair to assume that everyone knows about that um i think totally. we even brought brought up teledildonics in a, in a previous episode and like not everyone knew what it was um and so i want to just like level the playing field here and so i i definitely found things found out about things i wasn't aware of but that's not to say like i don't consider myself the most in the know of these things and so um, I'll just share some of the stuff that I found out. Um, so yeah. like within sex technology, I mean, one of, one of the main things is remote love or intimacy. Right. And so, I mean, you could argue that just any integration of tech with sexual interaction, I mean, that could be like, um, <laughs> you know, dick pics or something. Except really. <laughs> but uh, I mean, no, but like genuinely, I mean, I mean, that's, a lot that's of very people, primitive. <laughs> Well, and like, I mean, in the sense of like when it's welcomed and when two people are uh, doing it, you know, because they want to share right. with each other, right? I, I think there's, there should be, maybe this is another disclaimer, that in all of the things that we have been researching and that we are going to talk about this episode and the next, I think consent yeah. is, a, is, an, is a base assumption that that is involved <laughs> in all of these different uh parts of the domain that that is just kind of like a base expectation in all interactions that regardless of what is happening it is a consentful activity i liked that well i like that generally you're what i agree with is that you're saying we believe in that however i do want to talk about the fact that um as part of the ethics argument with sex technology um especially oh, yeah. when yeah that consent, the lack of consent when you're 
um, 3D printing Scarlett Johansson and then uh, being able right. to like integrate with her as a robot or whatever like that that is you know what are the ethical questions of that because Scarlett Johansson is not consenting to that right, right? Um, right. so I do want to stealing her 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 visit her her identity in a way right yeah and so I think yeah. Consent becomes a question of ethics, but in general, you and I, when we are discussing certain topics, uh, generally assume that uh, Jay and I are pro-consent. I hope that would be obvious. Right. Um, okay, so so uh, going back to the remote um, sexual interaction, and so we have things like anything from where you have a phone and you can, well, there's, I guess, maybe one of the most basic ones is phone, phone sex, right? Because you're, um, you know, using you're not anything where you're not in person and you're using technology connect phone as part of technology so that could be just through a voice call that can turn into pictures on a smartphone that can turn into right. video chat i mean um, a letter a written letter to someone is the most rudimentary form of remote <laughs> that's a fair point and i don't know i don't think that would i don't know if that would fall under technology unless it was an email <laughs> I mean, like, it, it is, it is just like it's splitting here. technology, but just not digital form. Right, um, right. But yeah. So we're just, okay. we're, if we're talking about the whole dynamic that people want to be able to connect intimately across distance and time, uh, yeah. that is the problem that this whole space is trying to solve. One of, yeah, there, it's like one giant area, which is remote connection. Um, now, the ones that I'm currently talking about um, is, is assuming it's like two humans interacting from a distance. Yeah. Um, and so uh, one of the newest um, or the newer uh, technologies with relation to that is teledildonics. And so what that means is integration with devices and or haptics so that um, you can uh, do more than just have a voice and, and an ear involved in the mouth, <laughs> that you yeah. can actually have kinesthetic um, like touch. Uh, and so right. the way, so there is one of the more popular companies is called Lovens, like L-O-V-E-N-S-E. They had, yeah, right. And they, um, I think they were one of like the first companies to come up with how to function certain things like vibrators or other, other types of applications like that through like how to make remotely capable. Right, so that you can um, download an app on your phone and um, it integrates, like they sell it, they sell certain devices and then the apps integrate with those devices. And then there are certain ways to do it. So they actually first integrated with Skype. Um, and so there was like a literal like Skype integration and that was before they did it over smartphones. And so certain- so how, long, how long ago had they been, you know how long ago they got started with I'm pretty sure, and hold on, just like bear with me for one second. Um, but I'm pretty sure it was just like, you know, in the in the 2010 range area. Um, but uh, we'll provide a link to their stuff. And sorry, I'm like not finding. It's hard to find information when you're in a headset quickly. Um, but generally, yeah. it's like this is over the last decade. Um, and so. Okay. And possibly, um, they could have started like you know in earlier two thousands, but let's just like make a you know educated guess that it was uh, around two thousand ten or in the last decade that they started having uh, good integration with Skype. Yeah, um, and then 
And then they upgraded to uh, having apps involved on smartphones. Um, and so um, I don't know all the specs for this, uh, but I know that as it works. It can work um, through distance. They have options. And then you can also do things which are in proximity to each other. So like, for instance, if you wanted to get experimental, you could go out into a public area with a certain device, very small device connected to you in various ways or, you know, like put inside of you. And then you can go out in public. You can go out in public and kind of like mess with each other. So, right. Right. So they have like, so they have like various um, ways, basically like a ton of different options, whether that's through like video chat um, apps and a lot of different devices. And they seem like a really good company that has truly been working hard to listen to their users and like try to come up with things that would just help people experiment and make people uh, feel more and more comfortable with remote connection. Yeah. So that is, they're not the only company that does that. There's a lot of different things coming out with that. Um, But that is a giant, like I would say, kind of newish area um, within the last decade. And um, that is going to come into play, that form of like teledildonics, combined with robotics, artificial intelligence, and XR is going to be like a lot of our discussion. Because like the more integrated you can get with how do you control touch, you know, we might end up pulling a lot of information from um, this industry uh, into like storytelling industry. Because I think like, okay, well, you take that and it doesn't need to be sexual, like, What is it like when you have a story where you actually feel the hug of somebody or you feel the hand of somebody holding your hand? Um, It is an industry where there's a lot of money going into researching and developing solutions for for these kinds of interactions, but it's applicable to to just interacting in general more immersively in in these different experiences. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, So that's that's one big area. Uh, Other than that, so that's, more the remote connection and then related is teledildonics. There's also augmented reality and virtual reality. And so with augmented reality, I haven't seen as much in this area, but I mean, yeah, was I, I, I will say that uh, I was very overwhelmed with the amount of information and research available on this topic and also very endless. Uh, no, 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 sorry, on this general conversation. And so I'm almost like, a bit shy where I just want to give the caveat of like, there is probably a lot more information out there than like <laughs> I, I could have possibly read in the past week. And so I'm um, like, I did my best with some of this research, but, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, the, the thing that I found about AR is that it does exist, um, AR pornography sure. and that, uh, you could think of it as, I mean, very similar to what we see in things like Blade Runner, especially the latest, the, the, um, sexy man. Wow, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name right now. From from the Notebook. What the heck is his name? The point is, in the newest Blade Runner, they show like uh, what it's like to have a hologram like in your room. That's like a sexual hologram, essentially. Right. Um, so it's projected into your space. You're not you're not escaping into a separate virtual location. Right. Exactly. Um, Ryan Gosling. Jesus. Uh, I can't believe I forgot that. Sorry, Ryan. He'll be so upset when he's listening to this. Um, so, so there is a company called VR Bangers, um, and 
Uh, VR Bangers is like a really popular VR pornography company, and they own or created an app called uh, AR Punk. And it works for Android right now, and I think it's coming out for iPhone. And you basically, they use 4D volumetric capture to capture an actual woman, like dancing or striptizing or whatever it is. And so... Um, do, they, you, do they have a mix of things? So what my um, understanding is limited, but of what I know, I know they have different animations. So I think what they did is they captured a woman uh, uh, doing different animations, like certain dances yeah. or whatever, uh, certain positions maybe. And, uh, and then you get to choose what animation you want to see. But I think there's probably not a lot of different choices on the person yet because it would require a lot of different effort with 4D volumetric capture. But you can imagine they would gather yeah. that in the future. You would have different options between uh, who you're seeing. Um, and that uh, you can set the hologram, you know, in the middle of your living room or whatever you want. And then you can just walk around it or you can change your point of view the way that you would in the real world. Um, and so that exists out there. And as far as I understand, you can use it with your phone. Um, and the same as you do with phone AR now, you'd have to move around with your phone. But if you just use like a cardboard AR headset with that app, that should also work. So you can pop it on your head and then you don't have to like, you know, move the camera around unless you want to. So that's the AR side of things that I understand, but I don't think it's as far along as the right. VR side of things. Um, and you were so, just talking about this a second ago. It's, it, I think the, the, it seems like the technology for it, like the headsets that are capable of that or doing that in a compelling manner, they're just not quite, they're not, they're not widely available yet. Um, so just right. the, the potential uh, consumer base for that kind of content is not very big yet. So there's not much money available to, to fund more development there yet. Right. And it's kind of like a catch 22 or whatever, because as this was a conversation you and I were having, you know, um, off of the recording, but uh, we could see the potential for AR being actually so much more compelling. I mean, if you think about, like, I just imagine a, sorry to be so um, cliche, but like a bachelor party and, you know, all the guys <laughs> wanting to have a, a night in without, like, going out to a strip club, but just, like, hanging out and having a virtual, like, stripper in their room, but all hanging out with each other, you know, and having, like, yeah. the same kind of interaction they might have uh, with, but, like, way less expensive and maybe they wouldn't get in trouble with their significant others or something like that. Right. Um, Which that's a, that's a, uh, that's an interesting topic. We, a a whole of, other, that's a whole, a whole other can of worms. Right. But I think we should dig into those. <laughs> oh, I'm, Oh, I'm with you. But I, before okay. we dig into all of that, I think that's part of the ethics conversation. I still just want to like yeah. get through what are just the various, what is there? Yeah. What is there? What's out there? Okay. So, Within uh, the VR side of things, a subset of what I'll call quote-unquote VR is the 360-degree or 180-degree camera situation. Within the 360 in general, there's stereoscopic, which adds a bit more depth. You can always overlay graphics to some extent. But generally, what I found was that most of the experiences were 180. 
And the way that it would be set up, there's a reason why they're 180, which is the block out production equipment, because like you're going to have lights and microphones and the headset. And like you're trying to show the perspective from a body of somebody that people are doing things to. Um, so most of the experiences that I found were all done from a perspective, um, meaning you weren't just like setting up the camera in the middle of the room and having people do something around it. It was like they set up a camera somehow on top of somebody who's, let's say they're laying down on a bed and the camera gear is as close their head, like where their eyes are. And then they're taking the camera view as close as they can to what it's like to actually be somebody who's uh, the, the perspective of a human can look down at their own body and see like their chest, their uh, arms, their private parts, um, whatever. And then they can look up and see somebody, you know, mounting them or something like that. Right? <laughs> um, <laughs> again, safe space here. So that's mostly what it's like. It'll be these 180 experiences that are from the perspective of obviously this is a lot of porn is built for males historically. And so most of what I found was from a male perspective, but you can, I mean, honestly, just like anything else, uh, I was, I don't know why I was surprised. I think I shouldn't have been, but I mean, there is like every, I was overwhelmed with the categories of options of experiences. <laughs> yeah, there, there, I mean, there's, I think there's so many jokes about that. Like if there is something that you can think of, there's probably porn that yeah that addresses that particular niche <laughs> it's like the the whole joke of like there's an app for that it's like yeah there's a porn experience for that like anything yeah. you can think of yeah. the yeah. categories alone now this has nothing to do with xr it's just with porn in general and i will be open and honest that i have historically not been the most familiar with that that area and i think i was i was telling jay like you know uh, i when i went to college i had a um, my college gave us our laptops. So they were like owned by the college. Um, and right. we got them quote unquote for free. Uh, they were part of our like education package. And then I left college and um, my, I never needed to get my own private laptop because I had um, then my company PwC also gave us laptops. But that also translates to for like a decade, I had laptops owned by companies or education <laughs> systems. So like I was very hesitant to even just look up anything, right? Like I didn't even want right. to Google it. And I think that part of that too is also a, a, an, maybe it's an old school fear, fear, but I always thought like, oh no, I'm going to get like a virus. Like I didn't trust that I would go, I didn't trust the website. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I feel like that, that was, a, I mean, it still is uh, a sort of risk in just digging into the bowels of the internet. But um, I feel like it was more, of a risk for a while there was a period in time when basically a lot of those kinds of sites it was very easy to get weird pop-ups or things that you might accidentally click on and you'd end up with spyware or something on your computer totally. like that was a that was a general problem across the internet That's, that was the same era when you know pop-ups were just inundating every circuit of a website and uh banners for ads were everywhere now we've got that on our phones but that's a whole different story <laughs> right i mean but but to your point, what I've learned is that it's not nearly as scary as I thought it once was. That's not yeah. to say that it's not scary. 
<laughs> scary for all the reasons when you open yourself up to like, uh, you know, it'd be like an equivalent might be when you're looking for um, unique horror films, like going back to our conversation from the last episode with Mike and Nico, yeah. uh, you know, people put some terrible stuff out there and um, from a horror perspective. And yeah. uh, if you're looking for that stuff, you could easily watch some sort of trailer for something that you never want to see in your life. And um, I will say that that did happen to me during this research <laughs> period. <laughs> there I, are I things like I cannot is... unsee. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, I think like, this is always the, this is always a problem in a sort of like careful balance. Uh, whenever you're navigating an area like this that is so that skirts the very very far edge of general societal comfort. Yeah. So like this is something that is right on the edge of people's comfort zones and also something that most people don't necessarily talk to others about. So it's so easy to go over that boundary or your own sort of boundaries when you when you get into that sort of domain, whether that's that is horror or it is pornography or or whatever sort of niche uh, or edge edge domain. Yeah. And actually combining uh those two subjects, I was uh you know, my mic was with me as I was looking at some of this stuff. <laughs> and we were having, you know, I think there's this balance between, like, what I don't want to do is laugh at other people's, you know, uh, sexual curiosities, right? But I think there's also, like, a healthy level of, like, yeah, some of it feels absolutely absurd and ridiculous. It's like, yeah. you know, it, it's hard to open yourself up to all of that and not find yourself laughing from time to time because like i don't know what else you would do in reaction to it it's like some people are going to be disgusted sometimes it's comical for whatever reason nevertheless i want to respect nearly everyone's stuff obviously it gets a bit i think there's always a, a a fuzzy line when you start to get into things that are in that ethics conversation about like what people are right. into and you know it's hard to be like yeah i'm totally cool with them deciding to create like a animated child you know what i mean like i can't right. that you, i am yeah no <laughs> there, there, <laughs> there are lines i think where where you're talking about exploitation and you're talking about lack of consent and you're you're talking about essentially something that is harmful to to a visual or a representation of other other people or creatures or whatever and that's kind of at least for me and i feel like this is a sort of general societal rule is like that's when that's when it's not okay um, yeah but uh but like anything outside of that i try not to to be super judgmental but i feel like it's also hard to not feel like something is comical when it if it is just bizarre from your perspective it's not something that you are accustomed to so the only the only natural reaction is to find it funny or um just so peculiar because it is so unusual um right. outside of your comfort zone Right. Mike accidentally clicked on a um, Halloween-themed uh -oh. uh, experience. <laughs> it was like, like, you couldn't close your eyes fast enough. I mean, it was just, it was... <laughs> <laughs> the gore makeup situation was oh, wow. rough. It was like two... <laughs> It was like two things combined. I don't like horror to start, and uh, horror yeah, porn yeah. is just probably. I think I found one of my ultimate nightmares. So, um, but <laughs> hey, if you're 
listening and you are into that, uh, it's out there. There's some porn for that, going back to our point. Um, <laughs> go spelunking, you'll find it. <laughs> right, to sum that up, the point is, like, so now you get, like, okay, there's 360 video, a lot of it is 180 video for a perspective with black behind you, which honestly, because you're so focused on, like, somebody, you know, performing sexual activity or whatever. Yeah, in there's some activity you, going on in front that is much more... You don't really uh, care about what's... <laughs> <laughs> Most so, people are not looking around at the room. Right. I should submit some feedback and be like, there wasn't like, you know, the full experience of like, I just wanted to know about the, you know, the the bedspread behind me or like yeah, yeah. the head the, of the bed. The pillows were, were yeah. you know, they're subpar and the curtains <laughs> in the background, I feel like could have been much more wisely chosen to, uh, right. to contribute to the feng shui right. of this room. Yeah. I know. Just so, the emergency. Sorry. Right. <laughs> um but the point is like of what i found in that domain there's a bunch of top porn sites that are as far as i understand like any other porn site that's dedicated to 360 degree experiences or 180 and most of the time like what you can do is whether they're free or you pay for them i mean it's honestly the same exact thing as traditional porn it's like some of it's free some you pay for um some of it you have to do like a monthly subscription or an annual subscription and then you can either like there's various ways in order to view it and the one that i used you download an app and that a certain website is integrated with that app and yeah. there, i had my vr headset connected to my computer like normal and so mm -hmm. I would just open up the app and so and put on my headset and it automatically worked and I could just select something and view it in a headset. Right. Now, I'm sure there are other ways, like you can do the whole not use a headset and just kind of toggle around, you know, the, I forget the specific name for it, but when you just like drag in a 360 experience um, right. uh, with a mouse, I mean, you can Maybe just check kind of things out. Yeah. Right. So you could check it out that way without a headset. I'm sure there are many ways to do it without, like, with different headsets. Or I know for sure you can do it through web VR, which is like you go to a website in VR and then it automatically works. Yeah. Um, but one thing I'll be happy to do is in our show notes, like, I'm not going to be shy. I'm just going to share the stuff that I found and like any directions on how to view it that I know of or websites that I found. Um, to be relatively helpful or that I found like we're, you know, the ones where I scanned around or something. Cause I think it is super overwhelming <laughs> going out there. Yeah. It's, and, it's a lot. Yeah. And so we'll share, like, I have no shame in sharing like some of the stuff I found um, uh, just like websites in general that support VR experiences or 360 experiences. Um, mm -hmm. But so that is, um, but like an, in conclusion of that 360 stuff, uh, the point is, I there was no lack of <laughs> abundance in <laughs> options. I mean, right. everything was out there. It felt just like so. If, if anybody's like, "Oh, it's, you know, it's become uh, ubiquitous. It's very right. widespread and available at this point." Right now, I'm sure, and this will be interesting to talk to Ella about. I'm sure that there are certain complaints about certain quality, like the 360 or 180 degree camera. Uh, porn or erotica is going to have the exact same challenges that 360 and 180 degree film for narrative and documentary telling has, right? right. right. So there is going to be quality challenges. Um, there's going to be challenges with um, the fact that uh, 
all of the things. Like you can't zoom really, you can't like angle something and change perspective. Like it's a totally different beast than yeah. traditional filming. Well, it, it, I think it also, for that, it just comes down to like, what is the expectation of the viewer? And if they're expecting to be able to move around a scene, then that's not where they're going to get that kind of experience. So I mean, there is, right. I feel like there is a level of, of expectation that, you know, this is the, the amount of immersion that you're looking for, you kind of accept the limitations of that space. If you're looking at a video, like a 2D screen-based video, obviously you can't, you can't look around in there. You just get the frame. If you're in exactly. 180 or 360 experience, you have control of the, not the perspective, but where you're looking in the scene to a degree. Um, yeah. But like that, but that is the limit. And then obviously, if you add more interactivity to that, you you add more levels of sort of interactivity and immersion. So that that is the space of sort of like 360 or 180, sort of like stereoscopic experiences, but they're mostly passive. Right. 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 Um, the thing so that it doesn't really include like the VR stuff, which is a whole other thing. Yeah, no, go ahead. Right. Yeah. So well, that's actually I, I found this really interesting, and we were I think we were talking about this a little bit last night. Um, that there are there are some pretty serious experiences that are being developed. I mean, just whole spaces uh, like an ecosystem that are being developed in VR, like fully fully immersive. That you you take on an avatar um, and you exist in that space, kind of like like alt space or yeah. uh, rec or any of these other sorts of metaverse type uh, type platforms, but these are focused on being friendly to adult content and, and mature interaction between people. And they are supporting haptics. So all of these different devices that we've been talking about that, that create uh, like physical interaction in real life with, with, uh, with, a pre-built experience, or some of them are actually trying to support and working towards supporting remote interaction between people in a fully virtual space through haptics. Um, right. And then Vero, Vero Play Space, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That was that one. That was the one that really stood out to me because it was um, they one they were their team seems to be uh, diversely representing like a number of different genders and people. Um, so it didn't have the same sort of feel of a lot of the entrenched porn industry. They were very much like, this is a safe space. You can come in here and essentially, uh, you know, you can do whatever kind like you can find whatever it is that you are into, um, in this safe space. And you can also find other people. The hope is that there would be others eventually that you could, um, that you could interact with in, in different areas. And it's, it's, it's just crazy to think about that that is, that we're getting to that point um, yeah. where with that kind of sort of space and interactions are on the horizon. I mean, it made me really happy to see that for all the, all the points that you just said. I think that um, there is a certain association with remote intimacy, um, even just leaving out anything extremely sexual. Like we've had these conversations about uh, you know, going back to our very first episode about all space, like yeah. building a, building a relationship in VR and what that looks like, and how do you have physical interaction? And Katie Kelly told us about like giving hugs, um, you yeah. know, yep. and and it's weird. It's like so true. I mean, I've had uh, like when Mike joins me in a social setting in VR, I have an immediate mm. sense of calm, like oh here's somebody here who's like my person who 
in a strange virtual space, even though his avatar is like just, you know, kind of plain. But to me, that's him in that space. And I'm like, okay, like, I feel safer because somebody I love is in this space with me. Um, and it's a very odd feeling like it's hard to articulate that where I got very excited just to be like oh that's you and you're there and like we're here together <laughs> you know? yeah you just you you create that or you fill in the the presence and the sensation of being there with that person right and so the there is so much opportunity there for building relationships that I think on it from the outside I think a lot of people can think that sounds kind of crazy when you hear about people getting married and VR meeting right. the same yeah I mean it was the same thing when um apps came out for dating uh and people started people knocked on them right like they were yeah. mostly people thought they were like booty calls and then but eventually everyone had a story about how either they or their friends got to know each other through a dating app and then got married or something like that <laughs> it's like <laughs> I mean it's it's seemingly just as legitimate because people are doing it all the time it's a natural extension of what was happening through like text services online uh for instance i i have plenty of memories growing up um, where i had a long distance relationship and i was spending a lot of time on skype with someone that was not physically there with me right um in order to fill in that sort of that sort of desire for just to, to have an intimate connection with that person uh, but again, you're not physically in the same space, so you have to work with what you've got. And for a while, that was text, and then it was video chatting with people. Um, and then now we're progressing <laughs> into this crazy world where you can literally be in this virtual space, and we're, we're filling in some of the, the physical interaction, um, which, is, which is where things, I think, feel like people tend to get even more uncomfortable because it's, just, it's getting to a level now where you're like, wow, we can't replicate a lot of the interactions that you could have with someone in real life. Yeah. And actually that brings up like some of the questions that I hear posed are like, okay, well, when you're dealing with a long distance relationship or uh, let's say in the case of um, maybe somebody who's isolated for some reason, somebody in prison, some, some, whatever reason you name it, that they're isolated. Well, like a virtual yeah. interaction is, is just that it's better than nothing. But then the next step is when it's not just that, like when it's better than everything or better than most things, like when you're not just replacing um, or enhancing like some sort of distance that's been created, but when you're actually choosing to find intimacy and relationships in a social space or, in a, you know, a virtual space like this, when you technically right. could go out and try and find somebody at a bar or something like that. Right. I think a, a common theme that seems to come up in that is that you're actually, you're able to create a, a fantasy if that was something that you're into, um, mm -hmm. that you wouldn't be able to fulfill in, in real life, uh, because you can basically create anything in, in VR. So like there, those, the blurring of lines of like what is actually realistically fulfilling and then what overcomes that by enhancing what person could possibly achieve in, in real life that's when people start to choose to interact via this kind of medium um, versus trying to fulfill those needs in their life, um, which is yeah. just really interesting. 
I'll take you like one step beyond that, which is, would you rather go to a bar by yourself or, and like, try to play that game where you find someone where you're not sure if everyone at that bar is like single or maybe you're worried about your looks versus like going into a social setting in VR that is literally dedicated to blossoming sexual relationships. I mean, like, <laughs> it seems yeah. like a pretty obvious answer if you're okay yeah. with virtual connection. Yeah. And it, it's, uh, I feel like those kinds of things do exist in real life, um, but they're, I feel like the internet in general and the digital medium just makes it a lot easier for those communities to create safe spaces and not be obvious and out in the open um, that it exists. So it's much more likely that you could find a virtual space that is dedicated to the particular niche that you're into. Maybe it's like BDSM or something and you want to find yeah. your community in that space. So like there's a virtual space that supports that. Um, and maybe in real life, if you wanted to do that, if you wanted to find that community, you would have to actually troll around on certain social media or you'd have to look on Craigslist, um, and you have to go through all of those kinds of like sketchy things of well, maybe there's this 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 group, this sort of support group that's meeting up in in a bar somewhere on one particular weekend a month, and they're just going to talk about it. And their whole purpose is to try to find other people that to connect with that are into that thing. But you know, there's so many barriers and and points of friction to actually making that happen and not being judged. Um, or, or not having to worry about fear of judgment in the process of looking for right. for that, yeah. that kind of fulfillment. Whereas that, actually, that does become a lot easier for, in, in VR. Yeah, and that makes me think of just the idea that it's like a easy access to a safe space. And we've talked about this yeah. completely unrelated to sexual things. I mean, it's like safe space for socialization or having an avatar, which, you know, removes any particular identity that you feel tied to right and one thing that um i should have thought of on my own but didn't was that um i was reading about this uh, or, 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 i'm sorry it was a youtube talk and i'll share this in our show notes that was absolutely fascinating about sex tech in general and like where it's you know kind of the history and where it is today and one of the things she brought up was that um VR could be really great for sex education because it's like way more, um, you can create realer scenarios potentially, especially if you're using animation, you can do that without like supporting, you know, any type of, you know, human showing stuff, you know? Um, and, and so like it gives people more options for sex education and it also gives the students privacy and safety in going into that space to explore and to learn, which I think is like huge. Yeah, no, it, it, it is huge. I, I, and we can't, we can't talk about this whole, this whole domain and topic without digging into um, the, the sort of like idiosyncratic nature of Western culture around sex. And yeah. Talking about sex and education. I feel like there's, there's a number of problems there and obstacles that need to be overcome to actually make that happen. Um, yeah. or something like that happened. Like if you imagine a world where you're in high school and rather than just going into a sex education class with 30 other students in the same room and you have a teacher that is lecturing out in the open and having to talk about these things to all of them. Boys um, are maybe... drawing penises on their notebooks. Right. <laughs> um, maybe instead of that, you you actually give these kids a, like 
you do you have that teacher jump into a VR and you have these kids uh, sort of individually learning um, or maybe learning in smaller groups. I don't know, whatever that format looks like in a way that is more comfortable for them. But that would also, you, you bump into all of the implications of, okay, well, you know, at what point are art schools essentially giving students the opportunity to look at something that could be perceived as pornographic versus um, I feel like just sex education in general is always steeped in this whole debate around, um, you know, what what is the responsibility of schools to teach children about about sex versus parents having the responsibility there, and where you get into religious uh, religious control over where that particular education is happening. Right. Um, I know there's there's so many layers to that particular to that problem. There are, but at the very least, I think, I think it opens up options and that is yeah. an important, an important thing that we need for revolutionizing sex education, no matter what you decide within all of those details that are tough challenges across the board. So, okay, we're still on the list of just like what generally you can do. So you were bringing up- <laughs> What is possible. So, right, what is possible. So you were, you had just been talking about these social experiences and you brought up Vero. We'll give a link to Vero. They seem like an awesome place. Um, and yeah, they're, uh, they're they also- They're early and up and coming right now. I have a Patreon. They're trying to raise more money for Right. So, um, and I'm actually, I'm definitely going to uh, donate to them and we'll give the link and suggest you do too, because that to me is like, if we are going to make an effort to create future uh, sexual interaction or like to, to, to use the same kind of thinking that we've been talking about with uh, why we're doing this podcast, why we're having these conversations, it's like we want to make, um, you know, the future design of the world through the lens of XR more equitable to everyone so that we don't have a select group of people design it. Exactly. Yeah. And part of that is in general, sex positivity is huge in that. Right. And so supporting groups like Bureau and similar efforts to make healthy, um, sex positive worlds um, that serve for all types of diversities and preferences uh, is something that I'm fully in support of. Um, but to, to link, so to add on to that, um, that world is virtual, meaning like, we had talked about uh, 360-degree videos, which are actual human beings. You know, it's an actual camera that's recording live action. Uh, in this social world you talked about, it's all um, computer-generated and animated. Um, and uh, so that is, of course, another option within the actual VR world. So um, you yeah. can, there's a lot of different computer-generated experiences and um, some of those are just like games. They have interaction. They have some storyline or no storyline. They have objects you can interact with and do certain things with. I would hesitate to call them to call them games. I mean, I'm sure some of them I'm sure are. I think just based on some of our previous conversations and trying to like sort out all these different the different terminology here, I feel like there there are some that are games, but in general, they are a lot of these virtual experiences. They're interactive. Uh, 3D rendered experiences and spaces. And maybe it's like an, a sort of sandbox or whatever you can end up trying to, to experiment with. And then maybe some I think of that's, games within that space. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And um, yeah, some some are games within that space, just like kind of any video game, you know, that you might see. There's lots of different types, you know, some that are more narrative than others, um, some that have certain, you know, puzzles or interaction and some don't. But generally, it seems like you can go on Steam, you know, and find both free and expensive uh, games that are considered adult content, uh, virtual reality things. And um, and some of those, whether in Steam or found elsewhere, um, yeah, are, are not so much games. They're just, you know, interactive virtual experiences. Yeah, there's spaces or worlds to go into. Um, so, and I just... Uh, had a note here that, that when I was looking up um like one of these games and looking at the trailer for them, uh they had like, you know, they have the trailer voice that like with new computer generated, blah blah blah. And then they were like <laughs> part voice, they were like, including new breast physics. And I was like, oh, oh god. my god. <laughs> Classic. Um yes. but uh, I mean I'm all you know that's not I I don't even think of that as like uh, you should have, ideally, within any animation, physics are important, right? Physics yeah. of what you expect. Yeah, like when you're trying or, to do the whole thing. But maybe it's not, the point is not to be realistic in some sense. I mean, I mean um, yeah, it's like, the point is that's a choice, and there's a lot of people, like, certain animations are, you know, when you do any type of trying, you know, education, formal education about animation, you're learning a shit ton of physics um, and how to make those physics happen in an animated world, right? Um, like what you should expect. Um, now, within animation, you can stretch the boundaries of human physics, you know, like the, the classic Wiley e. Coyote or something like that, where they like are about to fall and are suspended in air for a little bit. So those same challenges and decisions are made within this area and it um it's kind of you know i support that effort it is also kind of hilarious when like you have something um promoting breast physics so we were we were talking about uh vero play space right and that actually reminded me of a couple things there are on like streaming right if you're not familiar with streaming already that's just when people jump onto um, a live feed and they will interact with the audience or they do some sort of performance or whatever Twitch is kind of the major platform for that. But then there are also, there's a similar sort of thing in, in the adult film, entertainment, whatever, content space that is uh, basically camming or cam models are people that will go onto platforms like Chatterbait and they'll do something similar, but um, obviously in mature content <laughs> they are producing. Um, so there's a whole realm of, of of people producing that kind of content where they get online, they get in front of a camera and they're interacting with an audience in real time, they're performing, they're doing lots of different things. There may be couples or groups, whatever. Um, but there, there are whole platforms dedicated to that. And, and more recently, we started to see uh, virtual avatars that are motion captured by a real actress or actor and I think there's two good examples of this right now. There's one um, that I can't remember the, the exact name of, but she was kind of the first one that started doing this on the platform Chatterbait. And it created a lot of controversy between uh, all of the other cam models in these spaces because they are real humans. They're vulnerable in that way in front of a camera. 
um, and have to deal with all of the sort of tension between them and the audience in real time, asking them to do things, and the uh, they have to like keep a good face on regardless of what's going on in their chat. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas this this virtual model uh, does not have to deal with a lot of those same struggles because it's someone that is behind the visage of a virtual avatar, a rendered a rendered character in real time. Um, but it's it's become extremely popular, and we're starting to see more of them. So Vero PlaySpace they recently created their own virtual avatar that is now streaming. She's now hamming um, for an audience at this point, and I think it's I think it's just one of the ways that they're continuing to raise money to continue to build this whole platform for themselves. But um, it's just this this whole space of real time avatars with per, like a real person playing. Them. Um, it is becoming starting to become a norm, a thing that we're, we're seeing a lot more of now in the space. Yeah, so the um, the one, because I think you shared that link with me, and it was this 3D hentai cam girl, and I think her name was Project Melody. Is that it? Melody, yeah, yeah, I guess it was Project Melody. She, like, she has her own Twitter. She's on all these different, these camming platforms. It's it's just, it's crazy. It's like, she's, she's like a real, I mean, she is a real person at, at some level, uh, but it is a it is a avatar that is performing in this way. So, are the people who are envious or getting upset about the situation? I mean, what is their case for an argument? I mean, like other than the fact that she doesn't need to deal with that. I mean, it's still a human, and she's just doing it a different way. So, like, I I don't feel like there's any real strong basis for their argument other than their emotions around it. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, I mean, it's definitely a an emotional reaction to the fact that this person is just not nearly as vulnerable because they're they're animated. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So, like, it's threatening. I think it's the main is yeah, real concern. Okay. It is threatening to the way of life and the profession of all of these people who make their living by performing online. Um, and so, it's just it is a new form of. Uh, of performance in this space, and it is a new way of doing so that uh, that feels threatening to real uh, flesh and blood filmed uh, performers in that space. I think that that's totally fair to feel threatened by that. But to me, um, so a, a similar but different argument is like robots taking over certain jobs, including uh, you know AI taking over. Uh, pornographic opportunities right um right. and so you could have an ai where there is like really no human behind it other than the one that designed it and yeah that is like an ethical question of like are we going to create any laws around this where you know how are we going to control robotics and and its potential takeover for the economy and jobs but in this case, it's like literally a person behind, nearly directly behind, you know, being motion cap in real time, live. Right. I, wouldn't even, I wouldn't even call this, I wouldn't call this AI automation because it's not, it's actually just like, it's just a, it's a, it's a new, uh, physically uninhibited form of real people performing in this space, uh, but using virtual bodies. Right. And that's what I'm saying is that I wasn't saying this was AI. I'm saying that yeah. you could, that there's a similar but different argument about artificial intelligence, you know, taking over jobs. And so when you first talked about 
this situation and people uh, getting upset about this person having uh, some form of avatar instead of having to be the true herself interacting with people. To me, right. it just felt like there's there's nearly no basis for an argument other than you're upset that somebody's doing something in a different way. Yeah. Whereas for the, it, because it's not robotics, you can't argue that the robot is taking over your job. It's like a human doing, with wearing a mask. You know? right. <laughs> so, right, right, right. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's actually, yeah. I don't think it's actually, I mean, it's kind of like people saying like Instagram is going to put the photographers out of work. Like there is still uh, it's not exactly like that, but it, there's there's always going to be a um, an appeal to an audience of people that want to engage with uh, a like real filmed person, yeah, um, versus an animated uh, representation of someone or a character or whatever. Even right. if that like that person is acting a character on the other side, there's going to be people that want to see real life flesh and blood people and they want to interact with them. And then there's also, there is a new audience of people that are now going to be able to interact with essentially fully animated characters uh, that have a real person playing them and, and performing as them. So it, it's, yeah. it's really that it just opens up an entirely new avenue of people fulfilling their, their different fantasies and whatnot by interacting with some sort of animated character or whatever. Right. Now, I think that the real reason to be threatened is not because of that particular person, but because of the implication that if the job can become masked, like a lot of the a lot of the barrier to entry, I'll call it, for that particular job, is uh, that a lot of people feel a certain shame or taboo around um, erotic performances, and so they're unlikely to become a stripper or a pornographic actor actress because because they their face is associated with it and right. they don't want exactly now if you can do that wearing a mask that opens up the job to potentially a lot of people who need to do it who want to do it and are interested but didn't you know couldn't cross that line of that identity right. challenge or um who uh, didn't consider it an option um to make some money or or whatever the reason but it opens up more people to that type of a job and that would be the yeah. real reason that i might feel threatened but at the same time it's like what? this is technology people like get on board or get out this is like there's no stopping <laughs> train <laughs> sorry <laughs> wait i want to dig into why do you feel threatened by that I, my my thought was that that actually opens up the profession uh, that career path uh, to far more people. I'm saying that that would be the reason I don't personally feel threatened by that. I'm saying that the reason to feel threatened, like, like as a those, model, those girls that I'm saying girls, I'm just like assuming, I don't know, because what, it's everybody. But, yeah, um, it's not just yeah. Girls. Uh, yeah. Right. So I'm just saying they, in this article you write, it's like that they're, all up in arms about it because but i'm saying the real reason to feel threatened is greater implications which is that more people are going to be competing for their job not just because of like the right. emotional reasons that this person doesn't have to deal with the things they have to deal with um yeah. i think that's a valid point i also would add to that that at the same time i would imagine i would project and say that this this domain this like space of entertainment for people um, is only going to grow because mm -hmm. thus far we have like it's still it's still pretty niche. I feel like most people don't necessarily like most people that engage in any kind of like porn or that 
engage in uh, the experience of any kind of porn or erotica or whatever, um, or like real-time performance, most of those people are not necessarily watching uh, cameras. I feel like that's a subset. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I also would think that, that that population of people that do engage in that are, is only going to grow um, particularly as it it diversifies in what you can find in that space. Like if you can find these crazy sorts of virtual experiences with real people that are performing, but they they have visualized whatever they want to for their audience um, without the limitations of just what they can film, that is going to grow the and broaden the appeal of that. And then at the end of the day, for interacting in some sense, you are you feel like you're interacting with a real person on the other end rather than just watching something passively. So it's like, uh, I mean, it's similar to like watching a movie versus playing a video, like an interactive story of that same sort of storyline in that you actually can interact and things can change in what you're experiencing based on that interaction. So it gives you some sort of agency. And maybe it's just that people, not as many people have discovered the appeal of that yet. Um, I would say for myself, I haven't even really uh, been an active participant in that space. So it's kind of, it's all new to me as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, it goes, it relates to a conversation we had in a separate thoughts on thoughts about the concept that I think we were talking about podcasts and how like anybody can be a <laughs> podcaster. Well, it's yeah. like a similar argument is like anybody can be a cam girl or a cam boy or whatever. Uh, you know, it's true. Like, you want to put yourself out there? You want to put yourself on camera? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's nothing stopping you. Well, um, there, there, uh, there, well right now, there, there, there are many things that do stop you from at least gaining an audience. But this kind of virtualization of camming and, and like, real-time live streaming of models could lower the barrier drastically because you're, you're then no longer limited by, like, your physical appearance. Um, oh, I see. Okay, yeah. Right, like you, you could be someone that does not have wide, that does not necessarily appeal visually to a as wide of an audience or like the general cultural norms of beauty, but maybe yeah. you create yourself a, an avatar and then you you take your personality into that space and you create a character that people really love. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, <laughs> so that space is, is, is very curious as well. Because we started to get into a little bit about the AI thing, uh, just still in the list of what's possible and out oh, there. Nice. Um, <laughs> robotics, robotics is huge. And this also relates, there's a lot of science, you know, speculative fiction or science fiction that deals with this idea, uh, you know, movies or books where there's like uh, robots that um, are just like humans, obviously, and that can imply right. that they're also like sexual in some way. And basically, yeah, I mean, that's another angle of all of this. It, it already exists. Like there are actually, I found at least one example of brothels where um, the, really? they are robotic brothels. And so it's like if you take, well, we already knew that sex dolls are a thing. And if you right. take that and add robotics to that mix and then, I mean, okay, then start adding haptics and uh <laughs> whether it's in person or remote, I mean, the opportunities seem to be endless with all of this, but it genuinely exists where you can have like brothels in certain areas of the world where I think one of the ones I found was in Prague and um, yeah, you can just go there and it's 
all done with robotics. I mean, it's basically like if you've watched Westworld, uh, there's a brothel in Westworld, which is all right. managed by robotic um, prostitutes. And, yep, I mean, that is an actual thing in this world today. And um, <laughs> I think what's fascinating, too, is, uh, again, related to the ethical questions, um, which I think we'll dive deeper into um, later on, but just, like, to pose the the general theme there is, Already people struggle with relationships with robotics, but when it comes to brothels, well, brothels are illegal in a lot of places in the world. Um, and, right. uh, but it, it, is it illegal when it's robots? And that becomes the question because it's not humans. It's illegal for a human to prostitute themselves, but is it illegal for a robot to prostitute? Yeah. I mean, and, and many people would actually argue that, argue on the point of a human where should it be illegal for a human to prostitute themselves? Um, right. Like that, you know, that's obviously a very controversial debate, um, but there are a lot of people on both sides of that fence um, in saying that, like, people that want, that they think they should, you know, you think you should have the right to do that if that's something that you want to do. Um, but then on the other side, you could also say that, you know, like a lot of people that don't necessarily, that wouldn't necessarily, uh, choose that, that path may end up in that situation because it is legal and they didn't necessarily have any other options just given their circumstance um but i don't know i i I'm, i don't know that i have a strong opinion on it either way i'm i tend to be more of the of the mind that people should be able to do what they want to do <laughs> um within, yep, within the realm of not harming others or exploiting others um, but yeah. the real problem for me comes in when people can be exploited in that space. Right. Um, yeah. But if, it's, um, if it's robots, does that, does that same problem even apply? There's always the question of like, what is, what is deemed uh, laws and controlled by a government, you know, statewide, nationwide, uh, country or whatever. And what is deemed a certain ethical thing uh, within personally? like within yourself and within a relationship you have with somebody. And yeah. so in the case of robotics, uh, it's one thing, there's like the law version of things like we just talked about. And then there's also the personal side where um, people perceive whether it's robotics or um, you know any form of AI, any form of VR, porn in general can be perceived as cheating by certain individuals. Um, yeah. I feel, so this is, I feel like this is a whole separate, I mean, it's not separate because it's very tightly tied to it, but the, right. these, these issues or challenges just uncover a sort of deeper uh, moral question of just what entails cheating or um, insular activity. Basically, what, in, in, what entails dishonesty and dishonest activity in a relationship and that's like that's so subjective uh on one regard because you could be okay with that sort of thing or decide that you and your partner are okay with that but then another relationship they're like nope not what you can't watch porn you're not allowed to watch porn like i'm not okay with that um mm -hmm. and like both of those could be valid because it's really just what is the agreement between those two people or the you know that big group yeah i mean the the talk that i referred to before which i'll link to uh, somebody in the Q and A portion brought the, this topic up, and the person yeah. who was who was hosting the whole talk, uh, she, in my opinion, had a great answer, which is, well, there is no generic answer for that. It's about yeah. communicating 
everything with your partner or partners. It's, um, it's how do they feel about these certain scenarios and how do you feel and trying to navigate that all together. And there, I think historically there's been this idea that there is one answer about like, what does it mean to cheat? And is that even important to a certain couple or, or polyam polyamory situation? The reality is that it's, it's, uh, you know, to each his own. (laughs) There's not a, there's not a single right, a right way though. Cause if people, if some relationships and people decide that they're okay to have a polyamorous or a sort of relationship or an open relationship where like you have a primary partner and you both on the side also engage with other people and you're both of that and like that's fully communicated, there's nothing wrong with, or like, I don't feel like there's anything wrong with that because I don't feel like it's our job to tell another person how they should conduct their relationship. So to translate that over to the like robotics or to uh, engaging or like just enjoying uh, erotica or any of that kind of content, it's like it really does just come back down to like whatever the hell your relationship is based on. It's like do you, you, know, you do whatever the hell you want as long as the two of you have an agreement on it uh, or, or more than two. <laughs> That's, uh, right. I feel like I'm pretty progressive on the relationship uh, guidelines. And it's just, it's really around. It's really around those people. There's not, there should, there should not be an attempted standard moral set there outside of, of avoiding exploitation and harm to others. I mean, that's how I feel too, but this is an area where you and I have had discussions about this before and we tend to agree. And I'm sure there's, I mean, we kind of started the whole thing with this, like this is a safe space and you and I tend to be open-minded about this. So not yeah. everyone's going to agree with us and that's okay. Um, yeah, right. There were a couple of other things that I learned about just sex tech in general that I want to share, and then I want to get into some other stuff, but, um, just kind of like rounding out that list of options. And I'm sure like, even at the end of this, I didn't, you know, catch everything. Like I said, I watched an interesting talk about sex tech and I'll share that. One of the things that they shared in that is there's this thing called Galebox. Have you heard of this? Galebox? Yeah. So it's G-A-L-E-B-O-X. I think it's in Japan or just, uh, I think it was created in Japan and has certain, uh, you know, is popular within certain parts of Asia, but it's related to the artificial intelligence conversation. And it's basically like, Okay, you know in Peter Pan where Tinkerbell is in like a tiny little cage or something like that sometimes? Yeah. So imagine that, but kind of a futuristic cage that looks a bit like a lava lamp. (laughs) And um, what's inside is an AI formation of sorts, like some sort of hologram. I don't understand it, honestly, but everyone can look into this. I wish I had. a character or representation of something inside that. Yes, a character inside of it. Now, and that thing is integrated with your home in the same way that Alexa is. So you can be like, turn on the lights, blah, blah, blah. This, okay. uh, it's, it's in the one, I don't know if there are options, but in the one that I saw, it's a, it's a girl or like a, a woman figure character. And yeah. um, I'm talking about Cortana from Halo or something. Right. And it's like integrated with your home. Um, and it's basically cons- it very much like, you know, the movie Her. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, yeah, you know, that's that's he, he falls in love with Siri eventually. Similarly, this Galebox thing is it's like that. It's integrated with your whole life. Um, it's 
basically considered a replacement girlfriend. Um, she will text you while you're at work and be like, I miss you, come home. And um, she'll uh, know your favorite meal, maybe. Um, she'll get to know you in all the ways that we think is like in a futuristic movie, except it actually literally exists right now. You know, that's a whole other form of like, it's not robotics. Um, it's kind of feels like a mix of artificial intelligence and AR, you know, or something like that. It's like an AI representation of a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a relation. They're, they're artificial relationships, but I don't even want to say it that way because that implies that it's less real when those kinds of relationships, it's really in the subjective point of view of the person that develops that, that attachment or affection. Yeah. Um, I, I guess a perfect example of that is actually something that I pulled from um, an article where... Ella was being interviewed and she was talking about how she had, uh, she had met a couple of these guys at some sort of conference or a, a dinner party or something like that. And they basically, they had, they had these, these robots or dolls. They were robotic dolls, I guess, with them. And they, they had both, the, the one guy had basically married his particular doll and was like that was his considered her his wife and they had yeah. a whole relationship um and this is from that point this is from the, pers the perspective of that individual um uh, regardless of the fact that there's not a another um sentient human in that <laughs> in that relationship but i also don't want to laugh at it too hard because it's it's so easy for people to construct an entire uh reality around something like that like we assign we you can go back to childhood and, and, and remember times when you assigned a personality or anthropomorphized rock. Um, totally. So it's easy to imagine that as an adult, you can, or anyone, you can do that with, with any set of objects or a virtual assistant on your phone, like Siri in the movie Her, or a fully lifelike uh, robot doll. Right. I um, love so I much that you... Yeah brought up the whole childhood thing because I hadn't thought of it that way. And I will say that one of the reasons I liked her is because it made me not laugh at that scenario. It really opened my eyes to the potential for intimacy uh, in yeah. a future world. And speaking of being vulnerable, I'll admit something that I'm totally embarrassed about. I have stuffed animals, but my mom will make fun of me more than anybody else about this, but it's like, I still have them and I have like a yeah. stuffed animal problem, um, whatever, I'm a child. But <laughs> I also problem. like not to go, not to go like too, too off base here, but um, honestly, I was laughing with somebody about this because I'm like, I think it's because, so I loved stuffed animals so much as a kid and I could not throw them out. So um, my mom would keep <laughs> This is so sweet. My mom is a very neat person. You know, I couldn't go an episode without talking about my mom's. Um, she's a very, she's a very neat, uh, neat person. She likes to keep her household very clean and organized. And a just plethora of built-up stuffed animals was a no-go in her home. And so... Um, <laughs> But I would nevertheless get gifts or want them in a store, and I had this buildup, and so she would give them to my grandma. And my oh. grandma, who, like, you know, is so sweet and just loved me to death, would have, would have done anything for me. Had, um, you know, those, like, screened-in porches? Yeah. She had um, a screened-in porch in her house where she set up all of the stuffed animals on a couch. Oh. So, like, anytime, time, <laughs> <I> would say... <laughs> 
anytime I went to visit her, I would see all my guys, you know, like all my stuffed animals and I could like sit with them and, you know, have some tea or something. So I'm a total freak. Um, and I still have this problem today. So like, I'll get like cute stuffed animals. I don't know. They make them so cute these days with like the big eyes and stuff like that. And I'll like get them and keep them around. And it's like, I, I, would not be able to throw them out. And I'm like, what does that mean? That implies think stuffed animals are real. <laughs> and that they have feelings, okay? And it's like, I know that it's the most ridiculous thing ever. And I am full on taking on the absolute embarrassment of this. But uh, when you brought that up, I'm like, oh my God, it makes so much sense. It's like, if I can do that, of course, like somebody could do something else or something related with uh you know a robot or an operating system or an avatar you know you name it yeah any of those different represent like it literally I, so i have to, to kind of add to that a little bit i have um i have this stuff companion cube is what it's called and it's from a video um, game that came out years ago um, from uh but, uh portal what's it called portal yeah yeah yeah, yeah portal from portal and portal 2 uh, basically, in the game, there are these cubes that you use to solve puzzles. Like, they just right. they have some weight to them, so you could set them onto, like, a floor panel, and it would push that panel down and open up a door or something. Um, mm -hmm. But there's this kind of maniacal AI that is guiding you through the entire series of experiments that you are in. You're kind of the guinea pig. And she always talks about this these companion cubes, um, and they have hearts on them. So they, they, they kind of become, like, an affectionate part of the game. Um, as as you use them to help you get through all this, and there's no animation to it. There's no lifelike characteristics to this. It's right. just something that became very prominent in the narrative. Um, and it was a someone made one for me um, years ago, like a big one. It's like a foot and a half by a foot and a half large. Um, and I've kept it ever since. But like, I don't want to get rid of it because there's there is sentimental value there, and maybe I don't necessarily. Uh, I don't necessarily assign any agency or like personality to it, um, but it's still something sentimental that I I would feel extremely guilty throwing away, and I yeah. and I've held onto it ever since. Oh, that's really sweet. Um, <laughs> I'm all for it. Um, this also uh, that reminds me of speaking of Ryan Gosling, the man of the hour. Um, he. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this episode is sponsored by our friend. Sponsored by Ryan Gosling. <laughs> um, he was in that movie Lars and the Real Girl, which was all about him having a relationship with a sex doll, basically, like a blow up right. doll. I think that it's really easy to dismiss all of that. Um, or but judge. I, yeah, or judge it. And, you know, I get it. I get it in both directions. I get assigning, you know, feeling us intimacy or a relationship a sentimentality to inanimate objects um i also get thinking that that's absolutely ridiculous and nevertheless i think that that will be a huge theme and again why i liked that movie her because it was really posing like this is it didn't feel far from reality it felt like yep that is going to be our future and that is going to be a huge topic of that we have barely scratched the surface of. Yeah, you know we're we're uh, we're kind of coming full circle back around to um, to that movie that I had mentioned many episodes ago. Now, um, Demolition Man. Yeah, Demolition Man. 
<laughs> I still haven't watched it, but I was just talking to Mike about it because I wanted to watch it the other night. We ended up going with a different movie, but, um, but yeah, tell me yeah. more about it. Yeah, basically, we, we can go right back to that same scene that just came to mind many episodes ago where the, the couple, um, the main character, or the main two characters, um, Sylvester Stallone and Sandra Bullock, are sitting there together in the bedroom. They've had a long date or something like that prior. Um, but they're about, to, they're about to start getting intimate, but what he thinks is going to happen is not what actually plays out. She pulls out a VR headset and is like, all right, cool, we're going to both jump into these headsets and then have this intimate experience. He's incredulous about that. And she's immediately, her immediate reaction was just, wait, really? Why would you, why would we interact in real meat space? Why would we interact physically? That's just messy and gross. Um, so it's just, <laughs> I feel like it's just, it's especially relevant here because it's, this is a alternative future projection of what a society could be like after uh, being fully indoctrinated into VR and virtual representation for so long that it becomes weird or just not the norm for people to interact physically in person. And I feel yeah. like it's even less surprising to think about. It's even, it's even easier to imagine if you were to just take the current circumstance with coronavirus and social distancing and all of that and project it out. Like imagine that this kind of thing becomes a general uh, lifestyle paranoia that is just part of the way that we go through our rhythms every day. And after a while, if you get a society that just doesn't take the risk of exposing themselves uh, to to one another through that traditional form of just, you know, analog, real-world intimacy, it's far easier. Uh, it might be far easier at some point to, to get that sort of fulfillment um, and yeah. experience without exposing yourself to other people physically. Right. Yeah. The same same problem with like sexually transmitted diseases as well. I'm not saying it's a full full replacement or anything, or that it, that that's how it should go, but it's not that hard to imagine. Yeah, and I think in all things, every single time we talk about a topic related to the future of technology, especially within XR, um, there is a fear of replacement, and right. I just don't agree. Like. It, and no matter what, like my mom will say this too. She's like, fine. Like if everybody wants to go live in the virtual world, like that sounds awful to me. So I hope I die soon. Like that's how she feels. And, um, <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> before that happens, <laughs> yeah. oh uh, Lin Linda camp is the best. Um, <laughs> she's a straight, she's a straight shooter. Um, but <laughs> The thing is that, like, it's never, nothing has ever become a replacement. Like, TV hasn't replaced books, movies, uh, you know, or movies. And, like, everything just becomes more options. And so, in this case, um, oh, my God, sorry, my cat is. <laughs> my cat just scared the shit out of me. Um, so, um, but it's not, like, all of these options, I think, you. I'm sure that the same arguments happened with things like vibrators and uh, certain, uh, you know, appliances or tools that you could use. Um, and it's like, well, sometimes it was something that could, uh, you know, solve a gap when you were lonely or when you were isolated, but other people use right. it just out of pure play and like wanting to do it, even though they have somebody there in front of them. 
um, yeah. or pure curiosity. And also some people like use those and are like, yeah, I don't know. I just prefer human touch or something like that. Or they use it once in a while. It's like that. It doesn't mean that suddenly, as we've already proven in the case with, um, you know, dildos and vibrators and whatnot, it doesn't replace normal regular sexual interaction it provides other options for creativity and um yeah. you know and that's it yeah i mean it's the same i think it's the same thing with like the cam uh the canning community having a bit of outrage about these avatars that are starting to become popular it's like it's just an additional avenue it actually opens up uh additional opportunity for people that wouldn't have been able to do that before and it also yeah. opens up the realm of possibilities for people to experience different kinds of yeah. fantasies or whatever yeah so <laughs> yeah that that uh, that whole scene from that movie just felt particularly relevant again as we have slowly circled back around to this whole right. topic so speaking of um like dildos <laughs> and, and vibrators and all of that that reminded me of something else on the list which is 3d printing so this is something oh, i yeah. one of my friends kate uh so i have like a certain obsession with 3d printing when 3d printing became a bit more known that it was an option i mm -hmm. happened to be like at a, some sort of a high school reunion and i was <laughs> fascinated by 3d printing and my friend kate was like do you realize that you bring up the topic of 3d printing every time there's a lull in conversation <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was also like right around all the drama of like people can 3D print guns. And so I would just be like, yo, did you guys see that? What do you think? Like I was just, I was <laughs> anyways, um, but it turns out now, now I can add something to that, which is, did you know that yeah. people can 3D print like dildos and, and like also humans Plugs and, and things? Just like all the things you can just 3D <laughs> print your own at home. Um, actually, I had brought up the whole uh, ethics of the Scarlett Johansson scenario. Yes, um, I wanted to ask you a little more about that. I was curious to just... So hold on. Um, I wasn't necessarily going into the ethics thing, but there was a guy who spent, Ricky Ma spent 18 months and $50,000 to build and 3D print his own Scarlett Johansson robotic model. The face is absolutely uncanny and looks super real. And then also, oh, I loved this quote. There was um, from somewhere, it goes, how about a copy of your private part for the next Valentine's gift? <laughs> <laughs> I actually I have heard of that being a thing. Um there is I'm pretty sure that there are services online where you can uh you can create a cast of your your particular genitalia um and form and then you can you can have that made out of silicon or whatever for a one. I mean here you go. If if you're worried about um, the concept of cheating when people are uh, masturbating and using certain applications for that, uh, just do 3D print yourself and then you can't really call it cheating because <laughs> 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 basically you. Oh. So you're, you're, you're basically masturbating with yourself. What? No. Oh, no. That's not what I was saying, but that's oh. a weird. That's So what I was saying is that if you 3D print your, your own private parts and send it to your yeah. loved one who's distanced from you, oh. then they're masturbating oh. with your private parts. But you brought up a whole other thing that I'm not so sure how I feel 
<laughs> you know, maybe maybe you just really want to appreciate your own economy because you know that's that's your thing. All right. Hey, I mean, self love yeah, is definitely yeah. a big yeah. theme right now. Like you know, I'm sure Lizzo Lizzo would do that probably. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. You know, I don't feel like there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> but that's just me. Yeah. No, um, I, I mean whatever. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. But there, yeah, of all the things, it's not worrying me. Yeah. Um, the, the, the whole thing with like printing out a, a representation of somebody else that you do not, that doesn't want you to do that. I mean, I think that falls into the same category as having picture, like keeping pictures or video of somebody that that you do not have permission from to to have um, or to use in that way. I yeah. feel like, I mean. People would argue that it's fair game in some sense because the material to create a model of someone like an actress or an actor is there. It's all available. It, but yeah. but we're talking about somebody's identity and something that is, is their representation. Um, and I, I feel like that is, that is on the same par as basically stealing images of somebody or stealing videos and that sort of thing and using it that way. It's just kind of like, I don't, I don't know. I, I I would be curious to hear what is this person's moral justification for that? Like, how do they yeah. rationalize that that is okay? Right. And I mean, I think that I would prefer if there were some laws against it so that people had some basis of protecting their identity in that case and, right. um, and non-consensual situations with their identity. At the same yeah. time, um, I think it would be difficult to manage those laws. Like, I think they should exist, but it, it's still nevertheless going to be really easy to get around that. Like, unless somebody, like, if this dude didn't uh, boast about that situation, um, right. then nobody would know he had it. Um, right. But I'd rather if I were that person, like, okay, if somebody's doing that and I don't know about it, well, you know what, then ignorance is a bit of bliss in that situation because that's the biggest problem is like the mental part of knowing that uh, somebody's doing that. Um, nevertheless, yeah, it like, could be very disturbing to you as the individual. Right. But people could, if you are just on the front of a magazine, even a normal magazine, I mean, people can do whatever they want. Like they can masturbate right. to that. So, uh, right. There's a, I mean, this is a big, I think, I think this is the big area of debate right now because there are things like deep fakes, which is a whole, uh, a whole, it's software that allows you to, um, to impose faces of people and fully animated lifelike faces of people onto bodies of other people. Um, so there's been this whole realm of videos that are produced where it is some existing uh, pornography that then you that then someone will use deepfakes to impose a celebrity's face uh, fully lifelike uh, as in that is like conv it's convincingly real uh, because you're yeah. not seeing some sort of weird Photoshop edges or anything like that. It just it looks like that person was in a film that they probably were not in. Um, so it's like that right. that whole area. It's so hard to actually regulate that. Um, and I feel like our laws have actually lagged behind in actually protecting people's identities in that way. But then at the same time, you just brought up a good point that um, how how do you even how do you even enforce that? 
when it's in a digital medium, you're talking about your your visage, your rep representation as an avatar or as a volumetric figure. How do you keep people from copying that infinitely? Uh, the music industry dealt with the same problem years ago, and so they end, that's basically why we ended up with streaming services because it's just easier. It's a lower barrier of entry than it is to go and torrent a bunch of music. Um, you know, like making it cheap enough per month that you just pay a subscription and it's all available at your fingertips rather than the old model of having to buy individual albums. Or if you don't want to do that, you just go and pirate you know, it. To, yeah, yeah, you pirate it. Um, um, I don't know many people that actually pirate music now because it's just more easily available um, right. and less, less hassle to just pay a subscription fee and have it all at your fingertips. And maybe this is like something that we should, maybe we tap this one off. On, on this particular area, because I feel like it is useful to to spend some time on the whole the debate around what is pornography versus what is erotica, or what entails exploitation versus what is fully respectful to the actors and actresses and people involved in the production. Yeah. Um, okay, um, wait, but before, because so I want to hear that, oh, and I okay. let me let me just rattle. A couple of things that to, to round out. So one was I forgot about spatial sound. So um, related to to 360 videos, um, and actually Ella Darling works a lot with this. Is like let's say yeah. you're in a 360 video and somebody whispers in your ear, like you feel them getting closer to you and whispering in your right or your left ear. Um, so ASMR. integrating. Yeah. So ASMR is a particular use of spatial sound, but you could have spatial sound without it being deemed ASMR. Like, uh, I mean, if you think about just like, I don't know, this is like a bit of a strong example, but like if you want to depict an orgy, an orgy and you want like spatial right. sound to depict that, you would use spatial sound and that wouldn't necessarily be ASMR. ASMR is particular sounds used to incite reactions that people like. Um, I know yeah. that's not the best definition of it, but um, but yeah, if you don't know what ASMR Actually, is, I mean, it's just like using, it's like people who are kind of um, uh, connected with specific sounds, like certain clinking or uh, rubbing or scratching or whispering, um, yeah. people will use, they know what sounds people who like ASMR like, and they will integrate that into their performances. I mean, there are things on like meditation apps that use ASMR for people who like it. There was a there was a YouTube video years ago that was really popular um, where it just it was literally just using the stereo um, the stereo capabilities of any normal headphones and it made it it was like a it was a virtual haircut so you put earbuds in or headphones on you play this video and you could feel it like it would trick you into feeling like there was actually a pair of clippers buzzing around your head um, from side to side and it often would incite that that ASMR sort of like tingling feeling um, or tickle. Yeah, just by by panning the audio back and forth um, as the device sort of buzzed around your head. Um, I looked up the That's actual definition for ASMR just to, to plug that into here well, for this whole you. conversation. Um, <laughs> like, so please ASMR. don't go with how I described it. <laughs> <laughs> so just to uh, to clarify that, ASMR, the noun, is a feeling of well-being combined with a tingling sensation in the scalp and down the back of the neck, as experienced by some people in response to a specific gentle stimulus, or often yeah. a particular sound. Um, so, like, ASMR is triggered by things like whispering voices, paper tearing, and scalp massage. 
so there's this whole there's this whole domain of like streamers that uh, will use AMR as like a, a means of interacting with their audience. They'll put these these binaural sort of uh, microphone arrangements set up so that when you are wearing headphones, you can really feel the spatial nature of right. of whatever they're doing. So it feels like they're they are like brushing something softly up next to your ear. Um, or they're like blowing into your ear or they're making or scratching some sort of texture that makes an interesting sound. And you can feel it around your head spatially, kind of like that that barbershop haircut video. Yeah. Some people really like it and some people don't like it at all. Like it actually yeah. <laughs> uh I think there's there's obviously a spectrum, but there there are genuinely I think those sounds also set people off. Like like they don't like it. They have a bad reaction to it. Yeah. I mean, um, I think like tickling, tickling, some people really hate, and it's almost ASMR is yeah. almost like an audio tickle sensation. Oh, weird way of thinking yeah. about it, but yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, okay, final, final thing, and I'm sure there's more, but I just wanted to bring it up. As we continue this discussion, I, I want to keep in mind that it, there are a lot of areas of sex technology that I have definitely never thought of. One, for example, was there was an implant um, somebody could get uh, that would, like, above their private parts or somewhere near it. That's, like, a general implant in your skin that um, could uh, they could monitor or manage whenever they wanted, and it would, like, give them certain pleasure. It's basically, like, oh, sewing so it's into like your skin. like device. Right, like, integrating. It would be, like, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, it's, like, you know, doing surgery on your own body so that you have like a vibrator integrated with your body in some way. Interesting. Um, yeah. So that exists. Oh. Um, some other surprising things that I came across were like, there is a thing called a rape barb, which is like in South oh. Africa, you can yeah. um, put this thing inside of you, which if you're raped, will like uh, clamp down on or something like that. So it's like using it's technology like as a means of protection. Yep. Um, do you, do you, did you ever, there was a movie years ago that came out called Teeth. Yeah. Um, there, so I feel like this, this whole concept came up in mythology or something at some point, but there's this whole idea of like dentata or essentially teeth uh, that existed in the, in the vaginal canal of some females as like an evolved defense mechanism, which is like this crazy Whoa, imagined cool. sort of, of idea um and fear that that emerged yeah. from certain cultures but um i feel like there's still there have been devices over time that have been inspired by that idea like this barb that you're talking about um i think oh um what, what's your name in in uh oh snow, snow um, crash snow, snow crash yeah uh, yeah so in snow crash uh the oh trailer, that's right i forgot about yeah. that yeah she had a she had a secret weapon she had a dentata um, yeah. It's like barb, essentially, that was poisoned so that it, it put Raven to sleep. It, like, knocked right. him out yeah. almost immediately. Yeah. Ooh, um, crazy. Yeah. Um, so, like... Okay, so, yeah. yeah. That's cool shit. Love that. Um, yeah. And, again, this isn't particular... Some of this stuff isn't particular to XR, but it's all going to be integrated, and it's all part of the general sex tech discussion. Um, related to that, uh, is all like augmentation or transplants. And some of that could be for a disability. It could be for like a disease that caused, um, you know, related to even just, uh, augmentation of the body with something like breast implants or you have breast cancer. 
along those lines, like there's a lot of things with technology that you can do and, um, uh, you know, related to science as well that you can enhance your body or augment your current body's capabilities. Um, and, and so, and again, there's like some people judge that kind of stuff, but there's a lot of different reasons people do that. I mean, it's anywhere from having a disability, a disease, a choice, something for pleasure. Um, it could help. Uh, there are some things you can do also to help limit pain. So actually there was like a thing you could integrate to limit death for a woman. Um, so that, uh, if they like were sensitive to a lot of pain or something like that. Right. So I just want to bring some of that stuff up because I think a lot of people are always scared of tech and I always want to bring up some of the surprising areas where it's like, you know what, like it's certainly, there are a lot of cases like those where you can argue like that is for sure an enhancement to our lives. You know what I mean? Like if that's going to help somebody live a more uh, normal life, protect them from dangerous situations, uh, help them manage the, you know, problems that they got after a difficult situation or disease. Right. If in the case of sex education, uh, someone had brought up like gamifying it so that um, women can, I mean, women in particular typically can learn to say no in situations. Like how do you create more realistic interactions um, to prepare them for something like that? So there's a lot of positive stuff there in sex tech. And I just wanted to kind of round that out. And the last, the final thing I'll say, and then I want to go into what you were talking about with erotic and all that is... Um, in some of that research I found about sex tech, um, this is yeah. like related, unrelated, but it's just absolutely insane. Um, is that I found out that in 2016, that was the first time there was a formal uh, set of research around women orgasm and masturbation. Oh, 2016, there had been really? no formal research. No, yep. None at all around the female orgasm? I mean, that's what this thats what this thing was saying, I'm sure. I mean, maybe there's a way to, like, look into... Um, there used to be that whole thing with doctors giving women <laughs> orgasms to calm them down from hysteria. You know what I'm talking oh. about? What? Yeah, yeah. like, that was, that was an actual thing. They would diagnose women with hysteria, and then, like, that was how um, vibrators were created. And dildos, oh. they were too calm women down who um, were diagnosed with hysteria in the doctor's office. So it was actually a doctor's oh, tool to start. Yeah, it's kind of fucked up. Um, mm-hmm. Or, yeah. That's a whole other thing. Um, and I'm sure there was maybe some research done, but at least according to the sources, and I'll share what that source was, um, this group called Oh My God Yes did the full first full um, women orgasm masturbation-focused research uh, project and um, they took that data to uh, create an app that put, women could use to learn about themselves and different techniques and like oh. started forming a language around it. So I'll share that too. Um, again, I'm sure like with anything, people can pick apart certain research, but that's what I found. So that's what I'm sticking with. So tell me your thoughts. I'm very eager to hear about the whole erotica versus pornography debate. Yeah. So. It, uh, I, I got into a hole the other night, or I shouldn't say hole that way. I should, I got into a <laughs> Yes! <laughs> yes! I, I went down a pretty deep rabbit hole on this particular uh, subject the other night. Um, literally just went through a number of research papers and articles on this and, like, individual accounts. Um, and it, it, it was, it just turned into this sort of fractal domain of just this debate over um, what entails or what makes something porn versus mm-hmm. erotica or um, as one account put it 
there were actually there were a number of hilarious sort of anecdotes on this. One person said that uh, the difference between porn and erotica is writing. Oh wow! I, mean, and, I kind of I can understand that. that yeah, yeah. The, the, the erotica is artsy, but the problem with something with saying something like that is that that's very subjective. Like what 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 is what is and what is not art. Um, one can make the argument yeah. that anything that is a representation is a form of art, and then being different levels of pretentious around what one person calls art and what another does not. The conclusion that I've kind of settled on for right now and sentiment towards this uh, that seems at least as progressive as I could find is that a lot of people in that industry and a lot of women in that industry are trying to just own the term pornography as a general catch-all and, and basically dispel the typical connotation sort of debate between pornography and erotica because it divides the, the industry into good and bad people. Um, yeah. Because if someone considers that they make pornography and another person says that they make erotica, then it, it in other conversations or it, perception can be that one is better than the other. And if they just, if if women and 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 more diverse parties within that industry are owning the term pornography as a general catch-all, then they can take ownership of that and they can say, you know, no, this encompasses all of the work that we do. Um, and it does not necessarily mean that there has to be this exploitation or dominance dynamic or control dynamics in it. Maybe that is part of what that material entails. Maybe you're talking about some sort of BDSM type content, um, and that is a consentful activity or dynamic that's going on. Um, but the general the general direction seems to be that we it's just reclaiming and taking ownership of pornography as a broad term that can be used mm. to describe all of it. Um, it just feels like whenever people would use the term erotica to try to describe it and differentiate it, it was, they were basically just describing their comfort zone uh, as erotica and anything outside of their comfort zone as pornography. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I totally yeah. believe that. Yeah. When you can imagine that it's related in the sense that the further you get from uh, what we'll call like some sort of, there's like maybe a concentric circle situation of comfort levels and everyone's going to have different ones. Um, but you could imagine that there's some baseline of like areas where generally you find that more people are uh, uh, generally comfortable with certain fetishes or something like that. Um, yeah, and but why, get, I would guess that more people are comfortable with traditional sexual representation. Yeah, but I mean, even when you start to get out of tradition, uh, you could find areas that people are more comfortable with. Like on the whole, you you could like more people would mark. Uh, actually, a great example is people who audition for um, porn have to select what they're okay with or not right. in terms of what they're doing. And I would right. imagine that there are like certain areas that most actors or actresses are like check that box and are like, yeah, I'm fine with it. And then there are a lot of areas where uh, it tends to be fewer. Um, right. And so it, in that sense, like when there are fewer actors and actresses willing to do it, when um, it's way more taboo than even like, you know, some of the non-traditional, but still like, okay areas, um, you're going to get less resources. Like you're not going to have as much money. You're not going to have actors. Right. You're not going to have 
the quality that you might find with areas that tend to be more generally accepted. Have you, have you come across Dan Savage before? Oh, yeah. Dan Savage, um, my friend tells me about him all the time. He writes for The Stranger, doesn't he? Yeah, I believe so. Um, he's based in Seattle. Um, and he's been he's been a huge advocate for a long time um, of just general sex positivity and diverse representation in sex and, and really trying to just change perception of sex in, in, in the United States in particular, but generally Western perception of it. Um, he, I mean, he's not without controversy. I uh, definitely will, will acknowledge that as well. But um, he, he has been organizing and really pushing this whole event for many years now that is called Hump Fest here that happens here in yeah. Seattle annually. Um, and I actually went to it this past year. That's right. Um, I remember. Yeah, this was the first time that I have ever gone to a, a public show. You go to a theater, um, and the whole point of this festival is essentially to have a, an outlet for independent creators, independent uh, production teams, to basically, like, like, a random couple could say, we have this really weird idea for something that we'd never be able to get funding from a production company to make, but we're going to make it because it's really niche and it's really weird and... Uh, we're going to submit it to the to the, the hump fest, and so then a selection of those independently created films—they're all like five minutes or less—are um, then selected to be shown at this festival. And so you go sit down in a, in a theater with a bunch of other people, and for two hours they show off a bunch of five-minute-long porn shorts that are independently created. Because of that, because they're not dependent on the sort of incentives for. Uh, the, the wider industry, um, they get a lot more creative uh, with what they're creating and, or what they're developing and the the span or the range of content that, that I came across in this space was very surprising. Uh, some of it is just bizarre from a typical perspective. Um, some of it was hilarious intentionally. A lot of it, you just couldn't, like, if you're if you're someone that is not used to that to that kind of unusual portrayal, it's it's funny because it's it, because it's so outside of your normal expectation or comfort zone. Um, and it was really interesting to sit down and see this this broader range of of ideas and creativity that people have within this space, and also just generally being so positive about it, um, about yeah. people exploring their their sort of niches and fetishes through this medium. That was an experience that I had where I was definitely not prepared for all of the this this range of things that I experienced there. But um, at the same time, it was it was just really interesting, or it was really cool to see a space where people were uninhibited in that way that they could, they could get weird um, with the kinds of things that they were that they were showing off. Um, in a safe space, nobody's allowed to record any of those those shows, and they don't get published on the internet afterwards. So they're only shown in the theater. I like that. I would. I really want to get. <laughs> I'm just really looking forward to hearing Ella's perspective on all this. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, there was another area that we um, did some research on, which was embodiment or illusory embodiment and gender swapping. Oh um, yeah, that's right. So there is this group called, well, like the project was called Machine to Be Another, uh, uh, which is done by a company or group called Be Another Lab. 
um, and we'll provide links to this. I I found this fascinating, and we actually had some people um, comment through Facebook that they've done this experience where you swap bodies with somebody. But like of the videos that I saw of this experience, so um, this isn't like some sort of app where you can just do it. It's like a um, live. I don't know what to call it. Like a it's an installation basically. So you can okay. reach out to this group to try and organize an installation. Um, or you can try and find where one is, but you uh, are, let's say that you and I, Jay, went to this and decided, to, sorry, my hand <laughs> keeps floating in the air. <laughs> my digital, my avatar hand that can't control it. Um, so let's say you and I went to this installation and we decided to partake. Uh, what would happen is we would both be wearing headsets and the camera, um, and we would also agree, like, sign some papers to say we're willing to either get naked or, you don't even need to get naked or down to your underwear. You, you don't have to, but, like, a lot of the power can come with seeing a different body completely. And, right, and so there's, um, so there's different variations. Like, some are um, the gender swap, which is focused on the kind of naked body. Some are more um, narr narrative-driven, like, you experience what it's like to be a different ethnicity and dealing right. with certain things. But the way they set this up is, like, your camera, um, so you and I both have headsets on, my camera, what I'm looking at, like down at my body, uh, is feeding to your headset. And your headset camera is feeding uh, to mine. So it just swaps and what we see of ourselves. It swaps what we see. And then there are moderators or hosts, I don't know what they call themselves, who are directing what we do. So they might be like, raise your hand slowly towards your face and or put your hand out as in like a slow high five and so you're just being choreographed by these oh. directors um and they're they're they seem to have things so on lock that they know how to direct people to have very similar nearly precise precisely the same movement so that yeah. what happens is even on a timing perspective so that i'm moving my hand up towards my face and I'm seeing your hand move up towards my face at the same time in the same like oh. physics and motion. Oh, right? I got you. So you, yeah, what the the feed that is being referred to you is being coordinated with you, doing right. the same motion. So you kind of start to forget that you're not moving my hand. Right. Well, like a lot of people who are familiar with just like 360 video and embodiment in VR in general is like the problem is when it's not an interactive experience that's tracking your hand movement or your controller movement, then whatever that person is doing, or sorry, whatever the avatar is doing, or in the case of 360 video, the human, you're not in yeah. control of it. So you kind of are disembodied because you're just watching yeah. what that person does. A great example actually is in these um, porn videos I watched. Uh, some of them um, would have a uh, like in the, as I mentioned before, they were in this case um, a lot, mostly male. They wanted to find a mix of like, okay, well, I need to embody this person, so that means that the person shouldn't speak. Um, so they would have yeah. the main camera person be mute essentially, but then they would yeah. decide that well, they're still a character; they're still going to like do things, like put their arms out or whatever, and because. Yeah they couldn't didn't want them to speak they would have them do hand movements so they would do like a you know a thumbs up as instead of saying yes and that was like <laughs> totally 
because I would just be like, what? Um, so, you know, and these are all, I'm not blaming them. I totally get it. Yeah. It's like all very experimental, um, but right. it can feel very weird. Like, let's say they weren't syncing our movements together, which is, is the point of the point I'm trying to make is that it wouldn't feel like full embodiment because moving your hands and I'm not moving my hands. So you have this disconnection with it. But when right. they, I would just be, I'd realize I'm looking at somebody else's body. Exactly. But when they're thinking our movements and timing in swapping those cameras, um, your brain is very easily tricked. And we've talked about like the trickery yeah. that VR can do in general. Um, and that is one of them. And so it was like as close to this, this experiment and these projects that they've done are like the closest thing you can find to like true illusory embodiment. And to see what it's like when you look down at your body and you see like boobs or a penis or um, a different color skin or whatever it is and see like how that makes you feel about yourself. I mean, it's, yeah. it's bizarre. I suggest people look it up, but that was um, another area of like experimenting with, I would call it like intimacy. So this isn't <clears throat> pornography. It's really just a form of understanding and like, I know we overuse it, but to me, that's like a real form of like empathy and embodiment and just like, oh shit. Now you don't have suddenly a lifetime of what it's like to be in that gender role. But it was kind of like when you went into rec room as me and you were a female and, and you got certain comments. It's like, I think that they're, yes, that's not going to replace. You're not going to suddenly be like awakened to everything I've experienced in my life. But there are certain things, whether it's how you view yourself, what you see when you look down at yourself or in the mirror, um, what kind of people comment towards you. And like, there's a, definitely something odd about that momentary embodiment that you don't, there's no other way for you to feel that. Right. This was, uh, this, I'm really glad that you brought this up because this is another area that I, I got into a pretty deep rabbit hole on, um, was just gender uh, gender roles theory in general, um, in culture and how that permeated into video games, um, over time, which if you ask any, anybody that has ever played a sort of like social game or any sort of like RPG where essentially you can pick the type of character that you play, um, most people will have tried playing, at least once will have tried playing the opposite gender at some point. Um, so if you ask any guy that's ever played like World of Warcraft or something, they definitely, most people uh, will have tried playing a female character at some point. And yeah, they, yeah. there's been a lot of research around this particular phenomenon. I've done it myself. I often will play uh, like female characters in you know, RPGs and things because it's yeah. different from what I actually am. Um, and it's just, it's interesting. Um to sort of take on that role of, of, a, of a completely different human and, or a completely different character and role play from that perspective. Um, but there, it seemed like from the research that I came across, uh, a number of different motivators tend to come into play there. One of the, one of the really common ones is, is people will, like men will often say, oh, you know, well, I, I often will pick a female character in RPG or whatever because it's just nicer to look at. You know, they're, they're spending yeah. 20 hours a week running around World of Warcraft. Uh, they feel, or at least their rationalization consciously, is that they are picking a female character because it's just more aesthetically pleasing to them. Um, but a lot of people, a lot of men also would say that they 
that they would often play female characters because they felt like it was more interesting. They felt like um, it was different from what they normally were, and they wanted they were in a game. They wanted to be something else. That they they maybe they were just like a a plain old white dude in normal life, and they want to be right. uh, some like crazy like elven female character in this game. Um, so it's an opportunity to just and 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 become another another entity, another character, or person. Right. Um, a lot of women who would play male characters in these kinds of games would do it because it would um, it would it would lessen the amount of tension that they got in those games because they're right. The like they could just do what they space. wanted to do without dealing with all that crap. Yeah, I mean, like they probably deal with it every day in their normal life. Um, so it, it was like an escape from having to deal with that kind of uh, tension between people and that kind of dynamic from, from the opposite sex in a game. They could play a male character and not worry about that for a time. Uh, yeah. Men also recorded having done and then um, they, they would play a female character for a time, they'd try it out, and then they would get, get uh, that kind of attention from people and didn't like it. And so we go back to playing male characters, uh, which is interesting. Right. They have yeah. the luxury of not having to worry about that on a regular basis. Right. Um, so it uh, it was just interesting that there were there was such a large number of people who had also experienced this dynamic, um, and there were such a large significant amount of people who did this specifically because they were expressing. Um, a different side of their persona that was not aligned with whatever their physical sex was. Um, they were they would start to kind of embody different uh, gender stereotypes or cultural norms around gender stereotypes. Yeah, it's for me personally. I find it interesting that uh, I often want to play a girl. Like I think it honestly just comes down to that there is a certain pride for me in my gender. And I think I think it makes sense. It's like a lot of people, especially people who are in some sort of um, minority uh, or who have gone through some sort of trauma due to their gender or some sort of demographic or ethnicity, you build up pride because you've gone through that in some way and I grew up feeling like I needed to be a tomboy and that being a girl like I wanted to be as close to a guy as I could while being female you know the concept of like girls a, a guy's girl versus like a girl's girl um, yeah. and that like you don't get along with girls but you get along with guys and you kind of set yourself apart by saying I um, you know I'm not like the other girls I'm I'm like a guy so you can like hang out with me and that was a way of getting yourself attention and it was worked that's how you became popular in a lot of ways and so I think like because I've grown out of that um, I have a lot of pride and love uh, you know respect around myself and females and I think that's why I like to kind of I find more interest in sticking to those characters yeah I, I totally empathize with that um, on so many levels. I, I feel like at this point in life, I'm very, I'm very. I don't know if pride is the right word. I feel, I feel very secure in in the body that I have, and I'm happy with that. Um, but I don't want to imply that that anyone who does spend a lot of time sort of embodying other types of uh, characters or, or personas in those virtual spaces are do not have pride necessarily because I 
at the same time, I still enjoy taking on different personas in those environments just because it is interesting um, because it's like, it's different. Um, there are also, there are also situations where plenty of times, um, if often enough, I will try to replicate my appearance and, um, and just general physique and abilities in that game world. Uh, but then there are other times when I just feel like doing something completely different that I wouldn't normally uh, have embodied or that I wouldn't normally associate with. Um, so it, it's not necessarily that people that do that have a deep-seated kind of insecurity about their real-life persona, or they don't necessarily need to. I'm sure there are people that do because of that. But it's it can also just be that they are they're just interested in in, in taking on other personas at that time. But it yeah it was yeah it was it was very interesting to come across so much research around that and also just highlighting the the fact that um, that cultural norms around hetero like the heterosexual gender norms around like male female stereotypes and what the expectations for those behaviors are what is associated with like masculinity and femininity in Western culture um, very much start to show a little bit of uh, of inconsistent, well, it, it, it highlights inconsistency among uh, people who have the sex of male or female when they go into this virtual setting and they have the ability to leave behind those cultural norms a bit. Um, yeah. And they're suddenly a, a little bit un, unhindered from that. And that started showing up in, in video games long before VR was ever, um, was ever widespread. Right, yeah. And that if in a case of um, XR, it gives you even more depth to that experience where you can like really look down at your body. And you can do that in video games, but there is something like the je ne sais quoi that we keep having trouble figuring out how to articulate of like when you are really truly looking down at your body and moving your hands and you see something else. Um, yeah, I mean, which or, is the feeling of presence in real time, feeling like it, you're there. Yeah, and I love that, like, it comes back to this theme in general with, like, whether it's um, technology or pornography, it, it gives options and it allows us to explore curiosities. And I'm totally with you. Like, when I brought up the fact that, like, I have a certain pride in my gender, it is not to, um, you know, insinuate that people uh, have insecurities when they try on something different. In fact, you know, I think about when I, it's not that I replicate myself. I, and actually, right now, I have blue hair. I do, right? Um, yeah, so my avatar, um, my avatar has blue hair. I wouldn't dye my hair blue in real life, and I was like, you know, heck yeah, like I'm gonna go blue. Um, I mean, maybe I would dye my hair blue in real life. I'm, it's not like a complete, you know, no. But uh, I, it's just like there are curiosities that I have that I'm like, sweet. I just like toggle a button, and here I have blue hair, and I get to be a blue-haired person for a day and see how that makes me feel. Um, or yeah. And actually, when I was in VR chat recently, I took on like a really kind of um, vampire-esque female character that looks like super scary and badass. Yeah. And like, I am the opposite of that. I'm like the opposite of a badass. <laughs> like, I feel like I, don't know. I not. I would not necessarily say it, go that far. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks, thanks for that. But like, it made me like. I still have, uh, you know, it allowed me to explore that curiosity and play a character, you know, and I could do that with males too. And, and I just love how all of this 
just not only give us options to play around and be curious and have fun and just like play characters like you would in a game or something like that or in your imagination yeah. as a child but then on top of that when you come to the like embodiment uh studies that something like the machine to be the, another is doing it can add a whole other uh that and like you're saying about even with video games whether they're doing it intentionally or not can open your eyes to things that you can't get in real life yeah i think it all just comes back to this sort of theme that there are there is the physical world the the uh base reality that has many constraints around people and so we mm -hmm. build our whole cultures and societies around those constraints and those expectations all the while, we still have this sort of internal universe, this like psychological space that we all experience that is not physical and limited in any way um, right. in that same realm. And when we when we project that into a virtual space, all of a sudden, all of those physical constraints are lifted, and suddenly you have the ability to express whatever the hell you want that may have existed in your mind to begin with, um, and and that just gets bizarre and challenges all kinds of preconceptions or assumptions about what it means to be human it means right. to be a certain physical uh sex in as a, as a as a physical person yeah and we didn't even like explicitly address though i feel like it goes without saying that like the options that that provides people who actually genuinely feel like they change they um either belong in a different body than what they were born with or they want to be something different that they are or um, yeah. Or they kind of like have a, a, a chemistry that's uh, alternates or switches depending on the day. It's like, mm -hmm. well, it gives you that option to um, play around with that and provide yourself with something that will make you happier uh, in a scenario where either you don't have access or you don't want to do something like a physical reconstruction. Right. Well, there was a, a really awesome example that came up in the comments on on uh vero or vero's vero playspace's uh patreon okay there was a there was somebody that is wheelchair bound and has multiple sclerosis multi, multiple sclerosis oh my gosh yeah that's, that's a hard one to say they're wheelchair bound and they made the point there they're like i'm so happy that you all are doing this and whatnot like handicapped people need <laughs> need this shit too um and this is this is like enabling me or allowing me to get that experience, even though I can't just like go out to the bar um, and right. meet people that way. I'm very limited in that regard. Um, so it just it it's just like another it's another medium and and layer of enabling more people and opening up the possibilities for more people. I love that. But uh, yeah, in the theme of just like there's so so many positive things in a realm that people tend to associate kind of negativity with sometimes um both technology and pornography it's like a mix of some people's nightmares um yeah so uh there i want to get into um before we close out some ethics but like as we were talking i thought of a couple of things that i forgot to mention um yeah. So one of them was like thinking about uh, the whole like gender swapping or like being in somebody else's skin and related to 360 or 180 porn. Have you seen the movie um, Being John Malkovich? No, I don't think I have. Um, well, it's a great movie. Um, 
It's another one, speaking of Spike Jones, he's a big theme for me today, uh, him and Ryan Gosling. Oh no, Jay, Jay, your arm went, your arm just went oh. floating around. Well. <laughs> You're out of control. Um, so, um, our arms, it's because we're not like using our arms for any reason, so yeah. our, arms, our, our controllers are just kind of sitting next to us. And then like, our arms are just like floating around. from across the fire. We did say like shot in my face. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean it. Um, That's okay. Anyways, okay, so uh, okay, so being John Malkovich, um, so John Malkovich is an actual person, it's an actor, and um, you would recognize him if you don't know who I'm talking about. Um, okay. But he, uh, so uh, the person who wrote this um, was, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? Charlie Kaufman wrote the script, and it's directed by Spike Jones. Spike Jones wrote and directed her, so that was the relation to oh, loving okay. Spike Jones. But like generally, uh, Charlie Kaufman writes pretty bizarre things. Like he did adaptation, he did Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, um, Ooh, and right, and like Spike Jones definitely writes and directs similar uh pretty kind of bizarre things um so yeah. the premise like the psychological premise of, thriller type yeah um and the and also mixed with comedy and like the the premise yeah. of um being john malkovich is that uh john cusack and like Catherine keener and cameron diaz are the main like people besides john uh, of it. And so uh, John Cusack's character like starts working in this like really bizarre new uh, office space, um, which as a side note, it's like just such a bizarre world. Like all the ceilings are really low. So like everyone has to punch all the time when they walk oh, around. This is like really <laughs> weird, bizarre setting. And he discovers a, a portal in like uh, in some door on some wall. And it leads to, he goes down it and he's trying to figure out, like, he goes into somebody's brain and starts seeing through their perspective. Um, and he's trying to figure out who he is. And he finally figures out that he is John Malkovich. And so, and then, like, once he's done with the, there's, like, a timer on the experience. Then once he's done, he's shot out into, like, next, this random area next to a highway. And so he, like, goes and finds his uh, girlfriend, Cameron Diaz, and he's like, you'll never believe it. Like, I found this portal, and I think it goes to, like, John Malkovich's brain. And so, like, she does it, and then Catherine Keener is the other person, and I uh, right now I'm kind of blanking on, she's, like, uh, somebody who helps turn this into a business. I don't know, there's some sort of relationship between them that I can't remember, but, like, basically they're all confirming that they can go into this portal and have this experience that is nearly precisely like what it feels like to go into a 360 or 180 experience in general as when you have um the perspective of a human like we were talking about with porn um oh, okay. and so as part of that there are scenes where um they go in and are like having sex with somebody as john malkovich um oh, but there's like drama complications between like they know so the two women fall in love with each other like john cusack's girlfriend and um, right. the other woman so they fall in love with each other so they start planning to go like one of them will go into john malkovich's brain and the other one will go meet up with him and have sex with him so that they can have sex with each oh, other wow, wow. <laughs> so it's, 
I'm telling you, like, I feel like this movie was so on par with, like, so much of this weird, like, gender swapping, like, sex yeah. through 180, 360, through the perspective of somebody. Um, it's just awesome, and it's a great movie, and it's um, a comedy, but there was this also, speaking of, like, uh, embodiment slash like, disconnection with that embodiment. Um, yeah. There is a point at which John Cusack goes in as John Malkovich and he's having sex with this woman. And But the thing is, they're just looking, they're just viewing it. So they can't, like, as far as they know, they can't control the arms. Like, they can't control the actions of the person. They're so they're just, just viewing one person's perspective, but they can't exactly. do anything. But like, then there is this kind of hilarious so they're like scene. a back seat. Exactly, like in the brain through the eye holes, which is exactly what happens when you're experiencing 360. When you don't, when you don't right, have like these, these non-interactive 360 uh, films, right? And there's this scene where he's like, um, John Cusack is in in the brain, but he doesn't have any control, and he's having sex with this woman, and he's desperate to have John, uh, not desperate to have John Malkovich touch the left breast of the woman with his right hand so he's like touch her left breast with the right hand touch her left breast with the right hand and he's like what? screaming it <laughs> and um and then it turns out this is how they discover that the more he like screams it then suddenly yeah. john malkovich does it like he actually does have power within the brain to do something Whoa. he like screams what? it out loud anyways this is like super bizarre uh, movie, but it made me think. Uh, I couldn't help but like think of that and bring it up as like it is. If you haven't seen it, I suggest it. And also, it like really does actually address a lot of different interesting kind of scenarios and challenges with what's happening with like perspective, gender swap, and all of that um, within 360 video. I um, love that, and I'm going to go and find that movie a lot. <laughs> great um the other thing i wanted to uh talk about is um again in relation to the whole like, like 360 video thing um yeah one of the things i noticed um from my own uh experience with this is like so you and i had a separate conversation i can't remember if this was on or off um you know the podcast but we were talking about like I think it was, like, prop, uh, scale and proximity with it in um, VR and how, like, um, yeah. it's not just 360 video, but uh, it can be 360 video or VR or whatever, where you have to... It's both one of the most powerful areas of VR because you have, like, actual perspective and scale. Um, where, for instance, I think what you and I were talking about was in education, while kids can look at a video or a picture of like the Grand Canyon, but if, unless you actually go there, which you can do in real life, or you can do through VR 360, you don't get a sense of the grandeur and like the scale of it all. Um, when the you're, same, you're not in, in, in like VR or, or- Right, meaning, sorry, put- experience. Yeah, put differently, like the, the thing that, if there's any argument, like one of the strongest arguments to try and like, of why education or an experience could be better in XR or versus real life or video is because like you can yeah. actually see scale. Um, and so you yeah. could get a sense of mountains or nature. You could see the solar system or the universe in, in a sense that's not just like abstract. And so, but this all comes into play with uh, <laughs> 
360 in VR as well. Like you can also use it to kind of in a bad way, meaning like either either you do it intentionally or you're just like not thinking through the user experience. Right. One example is you could scare somebody, like you could have a giant monster who's like towering over you and they could be totally frightened because it's too real. Similarly, I had um so found that in a lot of the uh, 180, 360 porn, and I'm very curious to talk to Ella about like how they've gathered learnings and figured this out, which is you don't have any control. And so this person can be really, really close to you um, and you can't back away. Right. And so yeah. like somebody's yeah. approaching you. Uh, yeah, and I will say, um, besides just like somebody's face being up in your face, there are a oh, lot of other things that can... <laughs> put up, up in your face and yeah. there were times where it was so close that i actually went cross-eyed like the same as yeah. in real life where i couldn't see not that i even wanted to see some of the stuff but it was like all the same challenges of like 360 camera are there too you know it's like okay we all need to learn yeah. how to manage proximity and scale in all sorts yeah. of experiences whether that's narrative gaming porn like whatever you want you know education um they all have the same benefits and challenges um and yeah that yeah. was a challenge i definitely ran into in this in this particular subject area yeah definitely i, I think it's also that that general problem what we were talking about with this whole scale thing was was, <laughs> was minecraft again but it just applies to things in general you take a yeah. regular like a film or a, a terrorism in a way that is meant to give you, trying to give you that immersive perspective through a frame, a framed view. Um, yeah. Everything looks much smaller in that view. So in order to show the size of something, it needs to be a lot larger in that view, effective. And then when we jump into that, if you take that exact same, same, same approach and make things the same scale, suddenly everything is large. Um, because the scale just works so differently when you're actually surrounded by the scene. Um, right. So like standing, seeing the Grand Canyon on a, two, on a screen in two dimensions and then taking that exact same experience and placing you there in 360, you will immediately feel just a, the, the grandeur and immensity of that space in, to, in comparison to just looking at it and saying, like, wow, it's beautiful on a screen. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, same thing happens when you're, when, uh, when in these kinds of films, when somebody is really up close to the camera. Um, right. And all of a sudden you're like, oh God, I can't focus. This, this things are so close. And I don't even know if I want this. this close right. And face. it can just be generally <laughs> uncomfortable. I mean, the thing that we've talked about with like alt space or something, it's like you don't want somebody close to you. And actually, the, the benefit of, social vr versus uh something like we talked about uh regular video games is that you actually do get a sense of proximity and so you can right. like create like right now you and i have a certain social distance that we deem comfortable <laughs> yeah. um and we earlier you were like you're too far away and then like before that i was like we're too close you know and so like you yeah. have that feeling but but yeah it's like you have to learn how to how to wield that power and um and actually in the case of live action 360 video uh, you have the added challenge of a fisheye lens. And so right. that also amplifies, like with fisheye lenses, the closer you are, 
um, you know, the more amplified it becomes, then you're uh, even more distant than normal when you're, you know, further away. And so that challenge is certainly um, one that people are constantly trying to navigate. This whole conversation we've been having and what we were talking about earlier with this embodiment and sort of stepping into the, the body of other people um, reminded me of Sense8, which was a show that was made by the Wachowski siblings. Um, and it was on Netflix for a while. Uh, that was really good. It was, the whole premise was just that there was a there were eight people around the world that were kind of mutually uh, connected. So they they occasionally would be able to jump into a different person's body uh, of that group mm -hmm. and control actions and like their knowledge and experience and things that they knew they they could access and give. Basically, that person would suddenly have abilities that they didn't have before because they belonged to somebody else. Um, so that was an interesting show and interesting premise. Yeah. Um, and there was also an episode of Black Mirror, of course, uh, that touched on this whole <laughs> <Of course. laughs> <laughs> touched on topic um, in their fifth season. Um, it was uh, Striking Buffers. There were uh, there were these two guys that were good friends for years, and one of them was married, the other one was single and dating for a long time, and they played these video games together, and they eventually mm -hmm. got this. VR experience where you could go in there and you could fight. It was like a Street Fighter type thing. Or so you had to view and you were able to just spar. Um, and they, one of them decided to take on the the character of like this female. And then the other one was a male. Uh, and they were both completely different. Like these, both of these guys were, uh, were black and the, one of them took on the, the visage of a, like an Asian guy. And the other one took on a visage of this like blonde uh, female. And they kind of ended up like falling in, or falling in love is the right word, but they just, they ended up being extremely attracted to one another in this space and then realized that they could have sex in this world. Um, and so these two male friends who were very like heterosexual outside of this situation, or at least had been, you know, observed observe themselves to be that way, yeah. were suddenly yeah. extremely uncomfortable with the idea that they just slept together in a VR experience. And the whole episode wow. is just about them exploring this dynamic and figuring out what the hell all that means to them. Man, that's so interesting. Again, coming back to it, being able to explore curiosities in a, in a safe space, but in this example, it's like, well, you do inevitably bring that experience into your real life as well and it can open up ideas or open up certain related shame or something like that um because it's so real uh, in terms of like the ethics and all of that there was a topic we've actually kind of pretty much gone through a lot of the ethical considerations that came up for me as i was doing some of this research like we talked about perceived cheating replacements and alternative to real uh, we talked about like relationships with robotics and AI. There's kind of like two or three more areas I'd love to dig into a bit. And um, okay. one of them, one of them is so a question came up that is, does it help manage things like pornography? Sorry, not pornography, pedophilia. Um, so does um, the, does it help manage or does it make it worse? And so the idea behind this being like, well, if you can go in and let's say create like a, a CGI experience of a child um, or uh, what's a better example that makes me less sick to my stomach. Um, yeah. Like, 
Uh, I don't know. Well, yeah, um, I don't think we even need to be all that specific in, in the yeah. It's just you are taking the the fantasy that someone is fixated on. And yeah. What is the implication of, like, maybe that fantasy is something that is potentially harmful to a mm-hmm. real person um, or some other real real entity in normal life. But what is the, the sort of ethical uh, value or is it ethically okay to create something like that virtually where you're not actually harming any particular other person and it is right. just something that is going to help that person to manage their their this fixation or fantasy that they right. uh, that they have become obsessed with or always were obsessed with so um basically like <laughs> if you think about somebody like uh Jeffrey Dahmer um, who's like a famous um you know murder uh, cannibal situation when he was like caught and imprisoned it came about like others stood by his side and it came about in a lot of ways you get the sense if you dig into the research there that in a lot of ways he wanted to be caught and he didn't know what to do with the fantasies and the um obsession he had with like people's body parts um, because what he would do um, is he would often like have sex with people, kill them, and then like maintain their uh, an organ of theirs or something like that. Um, and like he had a fetish for body parts. And like in a lot of the ways he described it afterwards was like he found them to be beautiful. Like he loved it so much that he genuinely wanted to uh, take somebody's heart out and like put it in a container. Right. And. And I know that that sounds like, you know, do with that what you will of your own, um, you know, opinions. Yeah. But the point is, like, if he had the opportunity to um, explore those curiosities in a computer-generated environment or or a semi-real, you know, computer-generated environment, would he then have had the need to go out in the real world and explore? And so, like, a lot of people are going to be of the opinion that you should, like, those people are wrong and they should be detained or imprisoned. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, like, in my personal opinion, it's, like, people have um, a lot of psychiatric, like, differences, you know? And um, I don't think that in a lot of cases people have certain control over it. And um, in that case, like, it's actually kind of sad to watch, like, what happened to him and how he felt about it all in some ways, like not to really come to his defense too much, but it's like, what do you have if you have like a brain that is doing this to you um, and you don't know how to escape it? What do you do? Yeah. I think, I think it's useful here to separate the, the behaviors that someone feels inclined to, to engage in and then their actual perception of those behaviors and also the sort of like, do they acknowledge, are they aware of the things that they feel and compelled to do, like the impact that they have on other people? So like in the case of Jeffrey Dahmer, if he, if he was actually aware of the perception that society had on his actions and he felt conflicted about that, but the, the, the desire to engage in those behaviors was so strong that he just could not avoid doing it. He just had to pursue that, that, strong desire um in a way that person is trapped like you are you are in a head and a uh, a, a psychology that that has basically screwed 
do to their society. Um, and right. the way we typically handle that is by ostracizing and or, or, or isolating or killing people that have those kind of tendencies. But I do feel like there's a strong argument to be made, uh, potentially, for people that, that get stuck or are sort of imprisoned by those kinds of tendencies that are extremely, that are extremely controversial from a societal perspective or are extremely, extremely harmful to other people or things, maybe there is a very strong case to be made for creating outlets, satisfying enough outlets for those kinds of people, the people that have those kinds of situations, that they don't actually need to uh, to play those kinds of behaviors out in real life. Right. I don't know. I don't know if it would be healthier for the individual involved. Like, is it is it more healthy for that individual to get therapy to grow past or move past the obsession somehow? Whether that's possible or not, who knows? But just is it objectively more healthy for them to to work through it so they don't have that obsession anymore? Or yeah. is it more important that as a society we at least give people like that an outlet so that they don't harm other people in society? Um, and we get right. maybe we maybe it's healthier as a society that we get over uh, our our need to say, oh, well, that's wrong. So nobody should be able to entertain the idea of thinking about that. If somebody thinks that way, they should just be put to death. Maybe it's healthier that we just say, okay, if someone is stuck in this sort of perception of of other humans and people, and it's harmful to society. Maybe there are ways we can give them outlets while also figuring out how to how to uh, find methods of therapy that help people to overcome those kinds of barriers or, or, or challenges. I don't know. That's yeah. I think it relates to the whole sex education yeah. conversation because there are going to be people who don't support. Like, if you're going to provide them with that experience, or you, it means you're entertaining the idea that they're thoughts are okay and i think that's related to the idea of like certain people if you're going to do sex education in vr then you have to be okay with like exploring sex in general which not everybody is right you you have to have a healthy acknowledgement that or you have to have an you have to acknowledge that uh that there is a healthy uh engagement with with that part of your persona and, and and being human at that age like people, right. everyone has to agree that that is the case for that to be actually implemented. Right, and at some point that becomes a much bigger argument or challenge than the technology itself um, in the case of tech right. education, and that's the same thing that you're saying in terms of like m- mental challenges. But one would hope that, like for me, I don't think there's an answer yet. I don't think there's been enough research. I mean, I think it's an area that's interesting for them to ponder. And I don't have yeah. any good answers, but I wonder if in certain circumstances they could use the options and opportunities to create things like, okay, well, what happens when you can explore your biggest fantasies and then have some sort of therapy, like it's a safe space to do that and an integrated right. therapy of sorts to try and work through why you want that. And yeah. it makes me think of like people who feel like they're thinking about being disloyal to their loved one, like that they're going to go, uh, that they want to go cheat on them or something, right? Um, that they yeah. maybe fantasize about somebody else or something else. I feel like part of the challenge there is that people don't feel comfortable telling their significant other 
or whoever that they have those feelings. And so what happens is that those feelings get amplified by it being secretive. And um, and that often, if you can just have an open communication about it, I mean, you could still have those feelings, but a lot of the time it ends up actually just making those feelings, uh, you know, smaller because suddenly it's not something that's the forbidden fruit. I feel like there could be something to that in relation to this, like, okay, well, if you allow people to explore their fantasies, even if they're extremely dark and I don't want to support them, um, is there something there that could keep people away from action because there uh, a lot of it has to do with that sort of forbidden fruit right um, like if you we could imagine a world where it is it is we don't tell people we don't tell individuals that they can't explore any particular theme but we do protect people in the world like we protect others from the explorations of one another so if you want to, if you are somebody that feels compelled to explore an extreme sort of theme like that, you maybe you would have the ability to do that in a way that that causes no harm to other people. But it's also hard to imagine a world, or it's also hard to imagine that, that just unlimited access to those kinds of to those kinds of themes or fringe sorts of things that are not approved societally. It's hard to imagine that that access would not have a innate, potentially negative effect on those people as well, like a reinforcing psychological effect. Um, so I feel like all of that needs to be sorted out. It seems like there's possibility for, there's potential for great benefit there for people that, that are fixated on those kinds of things. But there's also a lot of care that needs to be taken in, in figuring out what that actually looks like in the way that those kinds of those kinds of therapies perhaps are are created or therapeutic environments. But the thought that I had as we were talking through all this is just that there's all these kinds of ethical dilemmas that come up throughout time. It's like it's never this was always a this is always something that that groups of people had problems with and that societies in general had problems with. But you don't we don't actually we're not forced to come up with a an actual answer or a solution or we're not forced to really uh, definitively pick a stance on it. We can conceptually say that we're against something like pedophilia, but we don't actually have to take action on that outside of just ostracizing people that do feel that way until technology enables something like, oh, now we can simulate that without actually harming children. So now we have this ability to make a simulation of that and it does, and it has no harm on an actual child. And so what is the effect of that? What is the implication of that on why pedophilia is a problem in the first place? Because yeah. my immediate reaction was that the first, the, the primary reason it's, it's so wrong is because you're, you're potentially fucking up children, not to be real true there. You are psychologically uh, screwing somebody over and you are doing things that are violating of this, their basic human rights. And that is the sort of the the root level problem with something like that, with that kind of behavior. Right. But if you do it in a virtual space, then how does that change the implication and how does that change the way that perhaps we handle when people have those kinds of fixations? Right. I think that question will be um, similar to what, like, uh, I mean, for instance, all space, because we're in it right now, like, the people who work for all space have to decide 
what sort of events and gatherings they allow. Will they allow white supremacist gathering to happen on their software? Will they, you know what right. I mean? Like these are things that social, social VR has to deal with and they have to make ethical decisions about that. And I think it's the same thing um, for XR for pornography uh, or related applications where at some point you do have to make an ethical decision about what type of content you allow or not on yours um, in terms of like we talked on the one hand about like a controlled nearly controlled kind of like oh we're gonna allow you to enter this and perhaps we'll integrate uh you know therapy or you know what i mean like versus a kind of like black market style like you're just going on there to do whatever you want to do anything um, goes sort of yeah right so yeah i mean i think that would be an interesting one like you said this has existed you know, you know, the problem has always been there. Um, it's always it's existed as long as humans have existed. <laughs> right. And then, like, the, the, it has both the, like, pros and the cons. It's like the technology offers solutions as well as more opportunities to in, engage in activities that aren't uh, necessarily, you know, eh, whatever, good or whatever you want to do. Yeah, I, I feel like the, there are, I mean, my feeling right now on this is that there are certain activities and behaviors and actions that we generally just want to discourage um, and okay. not reinforce as a society. But that gets into such a gray area when you talk about whether the, like those aren't those even that is not a universal value that is held across cultures, because there are plenty of examples of cultures where that's not a big deal. And it's very much the norm um, that that happens a lot that uh that all of the sort of worst expressions of of humanity um that they're not necessarily as deplorable in that culture as maybe they are in in our particular society um yeah and it's it's also subjective but yeah i, I think that there i think there are I, I'm, I'm of the view that there are certain universal precepts that we can that we can grow to align around align everyone around at least mainly just the ones of exploitation and harm to others um, yeah and like outside of that i don't know i don't i don't feel i don't feel like i can make too much judgment but uh but there are plenty of cases where those things are, are just horrendous but. yeah <sighs> um <laughs> I know that's a tough. That's a tough one. I, I I'll end the ethics thing on a slightly more. Uh, it's still problematic, but not nearly as dark. I would say. Um, so pornography has tended to set some expectations that I have always struggled with. Whether it's softcore, hardcore, or just like stuff in the movies, it's like okay, I'll, I'll get explicit. It's like when I see movies where there's a lot of like guys um hardcore uh railing a woman and that woman is showing pleasure out of that i think that while i'm sure some people you know to each his own some people enjoy that but the dominance of that perception that like sex is all about a guy like for instance like a guy will uh, in this scenario, I'm talking about like enter a woman without like like basically out of nowhere, and and it's like a lot of what actually happens like is is uh, portrayed in movies and porn. To me, seems like it would be the most painful thing I've ever experienced. Right. Yeah. And um, 
I have always gotten really kind of angry about that because I'm like, you know, that is a problem because then what happens is from a young age, uh, people watch movies or at whatever point people decide to watch porn. Um, they learn, they think they have a sense of what is uh, a, a preferred sense of intimacy and right. they can be so far off. And I that that adds to a really big problem with misunderstanding and about, especially in, uh, with women, um, about what uh, is kind of like equal and fair and preferred from a woman's perspective. I'll go so far as to be clear that I have definitely grown up in some sort of surroundings where it was uh, pretty much always expected that guys can do like whatever they want and the goal of sex is to get guys off that girls were kind of like yeah that's cool that's nice <laughs> that happens for you. <laughs> you know and so yeah. it's a problem it's really, yeah. we have the same challenge with vr which is and robotics and and sex technology in general uh related to even even just devices which is does it set improper expectations for people so yeah, I, i'll let you mull that over and share your thoughts on that yeah so this is one of the this is one of the strongest sorts of objections to and i, I won't say porn in general um but right now at this point in time most porn does tend to follow this sort of this perception this portrayal of sex as a very male dominated and male male satisfactory uh male, like male centric fulfillment uh is really what most porn tends to portray and that, that is one of the most frustrating elements in the majority of content that is out there these days um that's why i do really feel that some of these uh teams like vero um and just people like Ella that are kind of going out there and they're doing something, they're creating, they're creating things, they're, uh, they are taking a stance in that and really trying to turn that general direction of the industry around um, and make it more just friendly to more than just, more than just men that have that power dynamic. Um, one of the things that I feel really strongly about the whole thing is that that, that whole perception uh, that comes from male-centric porn is what has harmed a lot of men's perspective on sex in general and what is what is enjoyable or or pleasant for women and it's so problematic because it's it's really just shaped the entire psyche of multiple generations um in a very large portion of the population that is how they that is really how they learned what uh, what is good and what is like the right things to do or how to handle those interactions. And I feel like it's also a big part of what has fueled general sort of like rape culture in the United States, but also just generally in a lot of male dominated societies. Yeah. Um, and again, I don't, I want to emphasize that I'm not, this is not, I don't want to blame this on pornography as a, as a space. I want to blame it. Specifically, I want to I want to put some of the responsibility on on a large portion of the content that was traditionally created in pornography. Um, it's not that the that just the act of of creating porn in general that that pornographic content in general creates this unhealthy perception. It is actually that the content, the 
the perceptions that we're focused on thus far and a lot of what is still created in the industry is an unhealthy perception of sex and of female relations. Um, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's why, like we talked about Vero or certain studios um, or apps that are promoting diverse perspectives. Um, and a part of that is also having um, people feel like they can enter the space of XR and do something with it. So like having females or other like certain perspectives feel like not only um, that they can have a say with sexual content, but um, that they can create an XR company and like do something about this right in right. this future world um and you know, in the case of people you... that are that are going that route right now <laughs> right um, like interested in or are, are aspiring to go and do this um or have been yeah and I think that we can um like we do have this opportunity like we keep coming back to with this industry of like we have so much power of the future with this industry. And it's also a bit of a fresh start in some ways that the more people we can get to contribute to these types of efforts and to uh, create a communication or language around it, um, an awareness, then more people can get involved. And like, I, whether that's um, deciding to get into the space and create your own company, uh, deciding to find a company to get hired by, or like being a, a patron of a company on Patreon or something like that who's trying to do something different with it. Um, But I totally agree. It is about the content and content gets created by humans. And so the more diverse humans you have involved in a project that are being honest about their, uh, you know, preferences and all that, the the better it is. Um, And, uh, you know, movies and pornography has historically been uh, dominated by males in terms of uh, writers, directors, producers, and um, and it's made for males by males, and we're still struggling with that, obviously. So, of course, the content is going to reflect that. But you're right, that has nothing to do, that, that is an old problem uh, presented in a new way, that same as we've been saying, um, there are certain solutions that can help us um, create a better uh, future through this technology. And then there's like the other side of expectations, which I think has to do with Things like robotics and toys where suddenly (laughs) are you expected to, like, will it create the wrong sense of expectation that, oh, it was the same fear that sexual toys will get somebody off better than a human, and so they might prefer toys, or they might prefer robotics. And I mean, I think, you know, it's no different than what we've already debated and discussed in life and also in this conversation about toys and robotics. There are going to be some people who prefer it. There's literally something called, like, um, there are people who, what is it called? It's like they prefer robots in general. (laughs) Like, like they're they're pro. (laughs) I mean, I don't mean to laugh at that, but I just mean, like, they're like pro-robotic yeah um i don't know if that's the name but uh robosexuals so they prefer robots. Oh, yes. i mean so okay <laughs> so awesome. they're gonna be, i've never i've never heard that term <laughs> yeah so they're gonna be robosexuals and they're gonna prefer that and um maybe they wouldn't know that if they didn't have the opportunity to uh, interact with robots well i, I be, haven't heard that because it's interesting that there's a there's also the term sapiosexual meaning that you just prefer humans right so the, yeah so there's there's <laughs> that yeah, there is basically um, that spectrum and anything in between. 
And I think just like anything else, for some people, they'll have certain preferences or they might decide they never need humans again. Some people won't feel that way. And in some cases, it'll just be like, oh, I'm curious and I want to try things with a robot. And I'm like, okay, cool. Right. That was interesting. Like trying a drug or something, being like, yeah, I don't know if I need to do that again. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's not so I think, but it's for some people. Right. And I think it, also relates to the whole debate about like robots taking jobs and all of that, which is, it is a scary thing. Um, but in the case of intimacy, I was hearing somebody share their opinion that like, you know, a computer is a computer. And yes, the whole idea of robotics and artificial intelligence is getting it as close to a human as possible. But there is a sense of intuition and mystery and touch even uh, that you can't, you can only get through humans and that will always be the case even uh -huh. as you try to get it as close as possible you know I'm, there will be something reserved for that i agree with most of what you said i would disagree on the last point that that will all be the case yeah i kind of disagreed with it as i said it to be honest <laughs> um, <laughs> I, again I this is what this is what somebody yeah. else was saying so that their opinion oh, was that uh that the the mystery the mystery, the intuition, and uh, essentially, like, things that are the right side of the brain will, will be maintained for humans. And I think the question is, right. it, will it always be that way? Um, I mean, I can't fucking answer that. I don't know. Well, we don't, we, don't have, we don't have the replication of those sides of the human psyche yet, but um, I, don't, I don't think anyone can say with certainty that that never be the case and a lot of people would uh would project and predict that we will have um that we will be able to, to create what you'd call a general artificial intelligence or artificial intelligence that is capable of thinking and being as There's diverse sentient. and creative yes it would have to be sentient essentially uh to be able to reach the same capabilities of at least humans but I mean, I'll be honest, if, if somebody presented, like, a sentient robotic form of Edward from Twilight for me, I mean, you know. <laughs> Who's to say that I would leave Mike for that robot in a heartbeat? Um, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, Mike. But, you know, it's possible. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. It's, yeah. it's possible. I, people, a lot of people like the a lot of people have this sort of attachment to the idea that you know being human means that we are that we are creative and we have these weird intuitions and we have subtle awareness of like of common sense and things and things like that that machines will never have um but i'm not convinced that those are things that we can't eventually figure out how to replicate machines or that we won't accidentally figure out how to replicate machines uh, right but right now we Right now, yeah. that is not the capability. Um, right. But, you know, who knows? <laughs> right. a bit on that. I, yeah, and I feel like um, that goes into a that type of idea of like sentient beings and all of that also relates to like something we didn't get into because it's kind of like a, a more science fiction and not necessarily technology directly but it's like you know sex with aliens that's obviously been been like a, a theme in a lot of a lot of science fiction and fantasy we have a we have a lot of like secret curiosity around um just our, our sexuality is not bound to our physical bounds which is which is it seems i 
it seems common sense that that would be the case because like your mind can imagine anything and you can you can project personality into things that have no sentience whatsoever as we were talking about earlier and so it's just as easy uh to imagine all of these different stories and things where humans come in contact with some other species or thing um and developing connection there just like in her that movie um yeah, a guy developed a connection with and imagine with a with a formless AI assistant on his phone. Um, right. All of it, like the span of what is possible for human sexuality to to be capable of is basically limitless and has right. no bounds or tie to the fact that oh, I am a I am a physically like sex boy human. I am a male human, and so it is only reasonable for me to be able to cognitively be attracted to develop attraction to female humans um it, I, it it's kind of ridiculous actually to, <laughs> to believe that is the narrow uh bounds within which humans should and are only reasonably capable of, of imagining right. themselves i mean it's interesting because like a lot of that i can't help but mention the bible because like a lot of or just religion in general, because that's like where the basis of a lot of these assumptions and rules and restrictions. And meanwhile, like with those restrictions, I mean, like they're just, that's a history that and a belief system that like, I'm not gonna comment on or argue with right now. That's a whole other thing, um, but it is real. And a lot of people have genuine beliefs and rules and restrictions based on all of that. And yeah. um, they would think that this conversation is is like, devil worship you know um and that's fine i mean uh people are going to have different opinions but what's interesting is that um nevertheless like even in there's like lots of clear uh you know documentation about people in you know centuries ago who were partaking in activities that people would deem devil <laughs> devil's work uh well, like you know like, that <laughs> well, well that i mean i wasn't even thinking about that but yes oh. that or just like um like the homosexuality <laughs> and homosexuality um oh, uh, wow. or orgies like all of these things there's like paintings i'm thinking a lot about like art history or like art, right. the artist right. world and it was like always understood i think like i think it was da vinci though i hope i'm not misspeaking but um but like, I'm pretty sure people like had a general understanding that Da Vinci was like very open sexually, and it's like, but nobody talks about this. And I'm just like, we act as if like uh, all of these explorations are something new because of like young people coming up or technology or like, oh, everyone's like changing their minds. But like, it's always been here. <laughs> it has always been a part of everyone's life. It's just a matter of what is the um, acceptance level for publicly speaking about it? And then, like, what are the tools and spaces and communities in which people can choose to explore those open ideas or curiosities? The very things that all this technology, the, all the curiosities and positive positivity around what this technology opens us up to is the very reason why people are extremely fearful of it and, like, probably... Right unwilling to discuss it or think of it and are part of the reason they may associate technology with you know the the, the fall of the world and the apocalypse right. i feel like it's just always been the case that a large portion of humanity is very much more focused on conserving and protecting from new and unknown things um and those things tend to be scary 
and not without good reason. Like there, there's definitely uh, there's good reason that that's like a or sort of evolved trait in people. Um, but with with this kind of stuff, I feel like it's just a lot of it is like there are opportunities uh, to open up what is possible for people and. Um, me personally, I tend to be on the optimistic side of that. I don't, I don't want to discount the negative outcomes and the, the concerns and cautionary measures that need to be taken in exploring any of these these different areas and whatnot. But um, I don't feel like you know blind rejection and fear of these technologies is is the right um, is the right approach. Yeah, agreed. Oh, well, I feel like we covered a lot of ground here. Um, I'd like to close out with there were a couple of questions we got from people like we posted about this episode and some people asking questions. I just want to briefly touch on some of those. Should Um, should we touch on those now or do we save those for? Yeah, I I, I think we should touch on them now. Um, I swear it'll be quick. So one was when will products (laughs) like. (laughs) That's not our track record, but okay. (laughs) I know. All right. Alright, when, when will products like Lovens be incorporated into VR experiences? Well, we already answered that it is already started, and one of those right. examples is Vero, and so we'll share a link for that. Um, the next question was, I have a friend, or mom, who was excited to buy a headset for her young son, but then she asked about the availability of porn and the parental controls. Um, so this is actually one where I need it. I need to do some more homework. And so what I will say is this: so far, what I've found is uh, Oculus. There is there are arguments out there that there aren't parental controls on VR devices, and I would have right. to. What well, what we could do is um, at some point within the next two weeks for these, like this episode and the next, is share on our website in the notes what we found out about which headsets have parental controls or not. Um, but beyond that, beyond the headset, you have to think about it's uh, about the application. So Steam, which is where you buy games. Um, right. So uh, that is something where you can control, like, with, uh, you know, I'm assuming there are parental controls are on Steam. Yeah. yeah. And so where they're buying games or um, VR experiences is going to be from Steam or other applications on the Internet. So if you have parental controls through the Internet or through certain um applications like steam it's going to be the same idea um and then uh, additionally within the headset um, that's something that i'll have to look into and i think it's going to differ based on the headset and i have definitely seen some complaints that uh headsets don't have them so um we'll do it's some more there yeah go ahead yeah it's it's harder from the headset perspective it's like it's like asking your v it's like asking your vcr or your tv to turn off whenever you play porn on it because your parental controls are set. Um, it's more that you need to think of it as where is the content coming from and does that platform have filters? So like right. speaking, do they have filters for, for adult content and that sort of thing? Or does the ecosystem that I'm getting content from have a way to filter out those things? Uh, exactly. Okay. So that, I, that's I my point. How the headset would know. Right. And so one thing I know is that um, a lot of the cases, while uh, there might be some stuff out there about Oculus not having parental controls, uh, I don't. My understanding is that if you want to get porn on like a Quest, you have to sideload it. Um, yeah. But uh, or you yeah. have to. 
you have to do with other headsets that are connected to computers. I mean, you're doing like what I was saying, you're downloading applications or you're going through Steam. So basically we just are repeating each other, which is the conclusion is even if you don't per se have parental controls on the headset, um, you, or you do or you don't, you need to be thinking also about controls on the internet. And so you could like, in one case, have parental controls on a headset and yet it wouldn't be able to detect a side load, perhaps. perhaps. Um, right. Or you could have, um, you could not have controls and then that wouldn't matter anyways because it's what's important is that you're controlling their internet usage and their applications right. that they're using. Um, so you have options. It's the same approach you would take with the, with the, the open internet for kids. Right. Um, in that, you know, there should probably be some monitoring <laughs> and um, right. of, of activity and, and what they're doing um, if you're trying to curate that, that experience a bit. Right, yeah. Or in, like, maybe some ideal future, there's, like, sex ed and you allow them to see things, particular things, um, that are <laughs> yeah, not, you know, subset. Better. not be open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the um, world of content. Um, we somebody had asked if uh, if uh, XR porn and intimacy will affect their relationship. We already addressed that, so I'm not going to go into that yeah, further. And then and finally, uh, one of my friends uh, posted, "Will it make? Will I still be inadequate?" <laughs> <laughs> like, will you still feel inadequate? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to share the identity of that person, but you know who you are. And I gave, that gave me a solid laugh, so I'm very happy to end on that one. And I think my answer is, yes, you will. No. Um, no, I think, like, you know, what's interesting is actually that, you know, uh, if anything, I think you have more, more power, uh, you know, in this particular in a lot of scenarios. And so I know that was a joke question, but I think we've discussed yeah. kind of all, all the opportunities and, and what you what you can do um, when sometimes yeah. in a real situation, uh, you might be inadequate, uh, you know, in a different <laughs> kind of definition. You, you might be inadequate in a, in a different uh, definition. You know what I mean? Like you might feel that way because of a disability and this would give you more abilities and power. Um, and so yeah. you can't actually rightfully say that there are certain scenarios where you can um, empower yourself through this. for that journey and you know that was uh that we dug into all kinds of interesting areas there and uh, hopefully hopefully the the disclaimer at the beginning of the episode gave people an idea that you know we would be we'd be getting into controversial territory that some people might be uncomfortable with so um hopefully that was enough warning for everybody but uh we hope that you enjoyed the episode um we are going to be continuing this topic with ella darling in our follow-on uh, in a couple of weeks, as Kelly was saying. Um, so that is going to be really cool because she is somebody that's been in the space for 
quite a while now. Um, she is initially a librarian, literally has a master's degree. Um, I freaking love librarians. <laughs> they're, they're amazing. I, 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 when I found that out about her, I was like, wow, I love Grace even more now. I'm so yeah. excited to talk with her. Yeah, she just she seems like a really interesting person in general. Um, we can talk more about her in the intro to that episode, but uh, that is what's coming down the line. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Hopefully, and, yeah, I mean, more exploration here. Right. And I'm glad we did this because I feel like it gives us all such a common ground, gives us a language and an understanding about a lot of the topics and things we'll get into with Ella without having to feel like we need to like babysit and bring people along necessarily. Um, yeah. So, she's not uh, going to be afraid to talk about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> That's for sure. So, we're excited for that. And as always, um, like we have submitted on, on, on social media and in some certain Facebook groups and all that, we pose the opportunity for you guys to submit questions, um, both anonymously and non anonymously. Um, again, we'll do that again. Um, so if you have certain questions for Ella or for us on this topic, if you have feedback on the topic, we'll give you the opportunity through social media. You can follow us on Instagram at Reality Quest Podcast, Twitter at Reality underscore Quest, and, um, or you can shoot us an email at realitypodcast.com. Wait, sorry. Realitypodcast.podcast. <laughs> <laughs> No, real what? You just messed it up. Did you hear what you said? Wait, reality. What? You said realityquest.podcast. I said realitypodcast.com, which is incorrect. Then you said realityquest.podcast, which is also incorrect. No one. No one will ever know where to go. To be fair, Jay and I have been in VR for over four hours now, which is just a lot of yeah. time to be in a virtual world. Um, but uh, okay, so it is realityquestpodcast.com. You can find us there. Please also on your uh, chosen platform, uh, follow us, subscribe, and rate us. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback, especially the positive ones. And ratings and reviews. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you in two weeks. Mm-hmm.